Tune in to the Neil Prenderville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. At eight minutes past nine, a very good morning to you. This is Mick Mulcahy in for Neil's holidays for this week. He returns on next Monday morning. And all of the papers are uh, highlighting the uh, very, very untimely death at the very young age of 39 of Girls Aloud star Sarah Harding. The pop world is mourning a beloved singer and actress. That's making most of the papers today. I'll come back to that towards the end of the paper review. Tone Deaf for Radker is the huge headline screaming from the front page of the Irish Daily Mail. The tarnished his attendance at a UK music festival infuriates Fine Gael members as deputy leader Coveney faces another grilling on the Zapone fiasco. Fine Gael's two most powerful politicians are on the rack, with Leo Varadkar yesterday branded Tone Deaf for the latest furore in which he has become embroiled. Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney and the Tornister both face a public grilling over two utterly avoidable controversies, the most recent being the party leader's attendance at a UK music festival at the weekend. And Fine Gael colleagues are said to be incensed by the latest fiasco, with one calling Mr Varadkar's decision to attend London's mighty hoopla festival as tone deaf. Uh, while Mr Coveney last week uh, tripped himself up, with sketchy details about text messages surrounding Marion Gate and his controversial appointment of Catherine Zappone to a special envoy role. Many within the party uh, are now feeling that they're sleepwalking Micheál Martin into taking action uh, on dismissing one of them. That's going a little far, I'd say, but uh, it looks as though uh, Simon Coveney and Micheál Martin are the best of buddies uh, when you look at the front of the Echo because the Irish Naval Service marked its 75th anniversary and as they did in Dublin, there was a parade of naval vessels uh, up to the city in Cork and Taoiseach Micheál Martin Minister for Foreign Affairs and Minister for Defence Simon Coveney Defence Forces Chief of Staff Vice Admiral Mark Mellet and Commodore Michael Malone were at the Naval Service 75th Anniversary Celebration in Cork on Saturday pictured in the channel there in Cove Roads Vaccination Plus for Cork says the echo as well healthcare experts in Cork say the successful COVID vaccination campaign has helped to significantly reduce the number of COVID-related hospitalizations and deaths being reported in Cork. Front page of the Irish Independent has a very happy uh, Emma Duggan from Meath uh, celebrating after the Royals won their first ever All-Ireland Ladies Senior Football Final at Croke Park to end Dublin's five-in-a-row ambitions. Back to the old normal for most of us is the main headline, but big cities are playing catch-up. Mobile data shows scale of population's return to shops and workplaces. Traffic and the movement of people have returned to pre-pandemic levels across most of the country. New data from tech giants Apple and Google confirms as the last restrictions on society begin to ease, people have returned to shops and places of work in comparable numbers to January of 2020, just before COVID-19 restrictions were introduced. The Irish Examiner has a fantastic photograph on the front page, a leap of faith, Jenny Tufts of Fidget Feet uh, in A Handful of Dreams, which is part of the Galway International Arts Festival, continues this week in a very, very, uh, I don't know how they caught that photograph. It's a kind of a split second jumping gymnastic photograph. Check it out on the front page of the Irish Examiner. And tackle Garda bias on ethnic groups is the Examiner's main headline. Negative attitudes 
among Gardaí to ethnic minorities and reports of racial profiling and stop and search operations must be addressed, according to the state's human rights body. The government are considering uh, raising social welfare rates. Pascal Donoghue, the Minister for Finance, has pictured on the front page our level of borrowing must reduce, but the government is considering increases in headline social welfare rates as well as the uh, need to cut borrowing as budget discussions begin across departments. The Irish Times has uh, Mead celebrating again in picture form there and the vaccination of young linked to the downward COVID trend. And now the household recycling upgrade uh, caters for the acceptance of soft plastics into your reciting. The ex-con factor crime exclusive, says the Irish Daily Star, as well as pictures uh, in tribute to our shining star Sarah Harding. But a busker whose voice was hailed after a video of him singing on the street went viral is in fact one of Ireland's most evil rapists, the star can reveal. And uh, finally, we have uh, the Irish Mirror, the uh, Times and the Sun, Prime Minister to defy rebels over tax rise for social care. If you're interested in uh, stuff the other side of the pond, Nadine's anguish for Sarah is the main headline in the Irish Daily Mirror. And a, a very a nice picture of Sarah Harding there. Even nicer one on the front page of uh, the Sun. Sarah Harding, 1981 to 2021 and that says it all really the singer 39 years of age lost her life to cancer tributes for the girls allowed icon Uh, our shining star is the main headline there Sarah Harding's mum led heartfelt tributes to her daughter yesterday and thanked fans who supported the girls allowed star during her fight with cancer she said it meant the world to Sarah and it gave her great strength and comfort to know she was loved Uh, Marie confirmed the news of her daughter's death aged 39 on Sarah's official Instagram account Later, bandmate Nadine Coyle, just 36 years of age, posted an emotional statement. The Derry woman wrote, I'm absolutely devastated. I can't think of words that could possibly express how I feel about this girl and what she means to me. I know so many of you will be feeling this way. For now, I'm sending so much love to you. And as we wrap up the uh, review of the papers today, it's only fitting, I think, we take a song from Sarah Harding and Girls Aloud at 14 minutes past nine. by Chrissy Hind and the Pretenders that is the Girls Aloud version from 2004 2004 I think of I'll Stand By You and may Sarah Harding rest in peace The Neil Prenderville Show and just before we go to a short break it would be remiss of me not to remember the great broadcaster that was the grandfather of RTE Radio and the voice of many generations and that was Dunica O'Dooling who passed away over the weekend aged 88 I know he has relations uh, in Cove as well he was long ago affectionately dubbed the grandfather of RTE Radio and throughout a 51 year broadcasting career his distinctive lilting North Cork voice was a calling card instantly recognised by generations of listeners says John Downing in today's Irish Independent Donica O'Dooling has died aged 88 and left many Irish people with a host of radio memories. And may he also rest in peace. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. It's coming up on 20 minutes past nine. A very good morning to you. Now, having seemingly escaped the Zappone crisis after being kind of seen to throw Mr. Simon Coveney under the bus, uh, Leo Varadkar has now stumbled into a coronavirus crisis again involving the music industry and uh, special treatment for elites. The sight of a maskless 
Tónishta enjoying a music festival in London on Saturday while the Irish music industry remains closed has stoked public fury over different standards for the elite. And to uh, discuss that with me is John Kerrans, Irish Mirror columnist. Good morning, John. Good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm not too bad. Right or wrong, the man is on his private time. Isn't he entitled to do what he wants? Uh, I think you're entitled to do what you want in your private time, but I think if you're Deputy Prime Minister of a country and you're making the rules, I think you should be expected to follow the rules um, uh, that apply to that country, even when you're abroad. Uh, I don't think you can bring in rules that doesn't allow live gigs in Ireland and then decide, oh, uh, it's okay for me to go to a concert in London. It didn't matter if the rules were changing uh, in, in the Irish Republic 48 hours later. The fact that he's a former Prime Minister and current Deputy Prime Minister and is due to hold office again, he's supposed to be a leader, he's supposed to lead by the front, uh, and you just don't do that. I mean, you, you wouldn't expect Michal Martin to go and do it now, would you? So what makes Leo Faradka so different than Michal Martin? Age, uh, baby. You know, so I, I just don't, and I just don't buy this. You know, I, I accept that politicians are entitled to privacy. I accept they're entitled to holidays, but you don't do, you don't go and do what he did on your holidays, which is go to a live gig when none of us who love music in Ireland can bloody well go to a live gig because of the rules that he brought in him and Tony Hill and Michael Martin. Okay, we we all know. I mean, there's a big age difference between uh, the Taoiseach and the Tawnish, about twenty years. Um, if yeah. my maths is serving me correctly, that doesn't mean you don't love music. You know, that doesn't mean that Mihal doesn't like music. But we all know. We you, you just know that Mihal Martin wouldn't go and do that because he's careful about what he does. Uh, you know, and and, and 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 the office that he holds. But Leo, you know, has just shown scant disregard. To, to the rest of us, what I can see, for not, you know, for as you just previously mentioned, you know, not for the first time. Okay. Now, Leo has already shown he has capacity for the cringe factor. If you remember the letter he wrote on official headed paper as RT Shook to Kylie Minogue Kylie. saying, I'm a yeah. huge fan and really looking forward yeah. to it. And if you want, uh, if you're staying in the Marion Hotel just across from my offices, uh, I'd love to give you a little bit of a tour. That kind of thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, and that was, uh, that really was the cringe factor, you know. I'm sure uh, Cody Minogue uh, has our fans out there. It's not really my cup of tea, but if that's what you're into, that's your own business, you know. But I, I think, honestly, you know, Leo has really got to grow up and, and realise, you know, some of the decisions they've made. I mean, I, I know a lot of musicians, you know. There's Billy McGuinness, who lives outside my hometown, Rada, from Aslan. Aslan, yeah. Great guy. Yeah, and, and I was with Billy recently, I interviewed him, and I spent two hours with Billy <laughs> having coffee. And, like, you know what it is, you know, the, the torment these guys have gone through for the last year and a half. The struggle, trying to live off the pub, 350 quid a week, not doing any gigs, having no work, you know, not trying to be, be disciplined, going to the gym every day, practicing the guitar in the afternoon, not able to pay the mortgages, struggling, going into, you know, eating up all the wages to, 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 to feed their kids and rear their family. You know, and, and there's... And there's loads like Billy all over Ireland right musicians and they've really really struggled and, and the government you know has given them nothing but a deaf ear like Tony Hulin did not want to know about any live music whatsoever never mind the pubs reopening I mean that's a fact and, and, and then to turn around I think Fradka and just to go to this I'm sure I've, I've no issue with him loving uh, live music like the rest of us but he just shouldn't have done it until the rules came in here today it'd be okay for him to do it in England next weekend when we can have live music here but not on the weekend, you know, on, on the Monday where you get, where today is the day it changes. And as in from today, just in case people don't know, 
you know, you are allowed to go to a live music event indoors, uh, you know, with, uh, to a crowd of 60% capacity, and you must be seated uh, if you're vaccinated. If you're not vaccinated, it's 50% capacity, and there must be masks and social distancing. So that all comes into into play today, to say, according to the roadmap outlined by the Taoiseach. So I, I think, you know, if you set the rules, you've got to abide by them, and mm. you just can't say, oh, I'm wearing my holidays, and it's my private life, and I can do what I want. And I think if you're Deputy Prime Minister or Prime Minister of a country, it just ain't good enough. And if you're in the Cabinet, it's different, I think, you know, when you're making the decisions, you just can't say, the rules can apply to the rest of the country, but not to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to verify if he said it. I think he actually said during the week, or within the last week, that the, uh, the rollout of festivals and, and, you know, the big crowds, etc., in the UK is a bad example. I seem to remember him saying those words. Uh, and then, you know, t- to go uh, to somewhere you called a bad example to enjoy the music, you know, private time or not, uh, it doesn't lead yeah. by example, does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't lead by example in any way. And this is what I mean. Personally, I, I think Fragga is now totally out of touch. Uh, you know, and my, my father, uh, my father used to say, you know, uh, never, never, you know, never, never look down on anybody, and never look up to them. Just treat people as you find them. Right, and I think what he's doing is he's really turning his nose up to the ordinary people of Ireland. You know that because, and I think it's because they've been, he's in power so long. He really is out of touch at how people are thinking. And I, I seriously think, you know, his days as Finnegan leader, I think they're going to get slaughtered in the next election if he's leading them in. Uh, I think, you know, they really, the Finnegan party should really start considering his position. You know, he, he, he was quick enough for Radke to put the knife into the most successful leader of Finnegan ever in Enda Kenny, who won two elections for the party. He had a terrible election the last time. You know, they effectively lost the election. Um, and, and, you know, you know, I'd love to see somebody, you know, like Helen McEntee um, lead Fine Gael into the next general election. And I think she'd be brilliant for the country. And I don't think you'd see any double standards in any shape or form with Helen McEntee, I can tell you. Yeah, she's you, a tough you, the, the, woman and she says what she thinks. There are a number of heirs apparent, if you like, to the Fine Gael throne. Uh, one would be Simon Coveney, I guess, the other Simon Harris and maybe Helen McEntee. Yeah, yeah, that'll be the tree. But I think Simon Coveney, he's not a man of the people. He fairly shot himself in the foot over this, this opponent affair. I know you won't like to hear all that down in Cork, but in my opinion, he's no chance. Um, and, and uh, he, he, you know, Helen McEntee would be the big uh, contender with photos. People like her. Uh, Simon Harris uh, is not at the same level as either of them, I don't think. Um, and I, I think McEntee has been a superb Minister for Justice. I think she had, when she was Minister for Europe, she was superb as well. And in fairness to Simon Coveney, he did a great job on Brexit, but he seems to have lost his way. And what the hell they were doing, thinking of making up that position for, uh, for Catherine Sapone is beyond me. That should never have happened. And ever since then, he's been on the defence instead of just coming out and telling us all the truth. You know, put your hand up and say, I've made a horrendous mistake. We shouldn't have done it. You know, and we were trying to look after one of our own and do a friend a favour. He should have just been honest about it. Instead, they made up all sorts of excuses, both himself and Bradka. Or are there games, John, of Machiavellian proportions going on here? Because when you're the second fiddle in, you know, party in the government temporarily yeah. until you take over yeah. again, you can afford yeah. a few shenanigans to waltz the coalition into all sorts of damage. I mean, I've heard one Fianna Fáiler say, uh, Fine Gael just keep walking us into landmines and we're the ones right. being blown up. Yeah, well, I'd say they're absolutely right because, 
like you know uh, well Michal Martin is a, is a very decent man uh, you know he, sometimes he's very slow to make decisions he's seen as very very conservative he wouldn't be as popular with, with Joe Public for whatever reason as he is maybe down in Cork uh, people in Dublin don't seem to like him as much as you guys do. I know he's one of your own. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think he slowly, you know, fitted into the job as Taoiseach. Uh, I, I don't think he's done a whole lot wrong myself, to be honest about it. Uh, but, you know, for whatever reason, he just doesn't, he had a bad election. Uh, he just doesn't seem to hit the nail on the head to connect with, with Joe Public. And I, I just don't understand why. I just don't know whether it's because he's too slow to make decisions or it's just seen as an, an ultra-conservative. Um, while, uh, uh, you know, you look at Sinn Féin, uh, everybody at the moment loves Mary Lou. Everybody at the moment loves uh, Sinn Féin. Uh, they seem to think they've got the solution to the housing crisis, yet they're objecting to every planning application for new apartments and houses in Dublin, which is complete double standards and yet more hypocrisy. They're objecting there to nearly 400, 1,400 apartments being built near Crow Park and Flunderlip Road, which would be a brilliant help for housing in the city centre, and yet they're objecting to it on the side with local residents. You know, so they all have their own little uh, games and they all play all sorts of games. But, you know, there's no doubt Fianna Fáil currently in power uh, are struggling and have been struggling, certainly in the polls. Uh, and they're not getting credit for, for instance, the vaccine rollout has been a massive success. I think by the end of this week, over 90% of, of adults in, in, in the Republic of Ireland would have, see, have, been, have been fully vaccinated and, and received the, 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 the double dose, um, and, uh, which, which is a hell of a number. You know, and I would have said before the vaccine roll. I did say before the vaccine roller that seeing a fall and me or man didn't get this right, that they would have been doomed forever. They got it right, but yet politically, and as far as vote was concerned, that there doesn't seem to be any traction in terms of votes or, or going up in the opinion polls with it. I think the last thing this coalition, it's been called a coalition of chaos in some of the, the morning papers. I think the last thing they needed this weekend was another melodrama as one was dying out. Absolutely, and another one came along. But, like, personally, you know, I know Michal Martin despises Sinn Féin, but I, I think Fianna Fáil made a huge mistake politically going into bed with Senegal. Like, the last election clearly showed that people wanted change, and they wanted Sinn Féin in office. And I think Fianna Fáil should have had the courage to go into government with Sinn Féin. Um, you know, and they should have done that. And, and then Sinn Féin would have been held to account, and we would see what the camera cannot do. Uh, instead, putting the two old war, like, Finnegan and Finnegan hate each other. You know, uh, I know politically and uh, looking at politically, the they're almost mirror images of each other now. Absolutely, they're mirror, the policies are mirror images of each other. Apart from the civil war split, you know, what's the difference between the two parties? But they all more or less hate each other. The troops on the ground, they fought the battles from Cork to Drogheda to Donegal to Galway, you know, to Westport for years on the streets for council seats, doll seats, Senate seats. They've always been at it. They've always hate each other. You know, they've been forced to come together for the best interests of the country. So we were told with the Greens thrown in. So it wasn't a kind of, it wasn't a government that effectively the people voted for. You know, the Greens did well, but uh, did anyone in the Greens want to go into government? You know, I don't think they really did, to be honest, but they were forced into it. Um, you know, well, I think what the, 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 the vote, if you look at the last election, what did people really vote for? Well, they kind of voted for Sinn Féin, uh, Fianna Fáil government, because there wasn't a number for, the numbers weren't there for Sinn Féin or anything else. And, and, and now it is what it is, and people just don't like the government because it wasn't what they expected. And ever since then, they've been firefighting. And then, of course, they all hate each other's guts.
So that causes all sorts of issues, as we are now seeing. As a journalist, John, and former editor of a national paper, I think you, you may agree that there's uh, some headlines are better than others. I came across one today by Fionnán Sheehan uh, in the Irish Independent, and uh, this headline uh, just made me smile. Only in Fianna Fáil's surreal world does a drink driver get to take the moral high ground? Talking there about Barry yeah, well, Cannon, whose picture there with me. Yeah, well, that was, absolutely, yeah. Well, that was, that was very fair comment by uh, Finn O'Sheehan. And the truth of it is, uh, Barry Cannon was known for drink driving. Uh, even if it was a very, it was a very small amount of drinks that he took, I think it was only a point and a half or two points, but he was over the limit. You know, so therefore he was technically done for drink driving. It wasn't as if Barry Cannon now drove down the road with 10 points to them. I think he'd had a point in the glass, but he was over the limit. You know, so he still broke the law. And, uh, you know, he is, you know, Finon is right in what he says there. You know, but the problem for Fianna Fáil have, there's no real natural leader at the moment. Who have they got? You know, like after Michal Martin, who's who's going to come out of the pack? Uh, Jim O'Callaghan, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's he done? Uh, uh, Darren O'Brien, what's he done? You know, there's an old saying in politics, you know, and there's an old saying in journalism, show me your medals. Well, who's got the medals in Fianna Fáil? Well, they've got 16 months to show some decent productivity to the electorate. And I think a lot of that will be coming, as I said to Michael McGrath Friday. Uh, you know, Fianna Fáil have a lot more at stake here uh, than many others in this housing, uh, this big, big ambitious housing policy that they launched on Friday. Uh, once, you know, once you lose trust on the economy, uh, if you're implicit in crashing the country a decade ago and being dragged through the social, pro- um, you know, the social product progress of, of the last decade, now is the time uh, for them to curry favour with the electorate and to show some decent productivity. There's 16 months left. How do you see it going for Hall Martin and Fianna Fáil? Oh, God, it's hard, it's hard to predict. You know, to, mean, to be honest about it, the housing crisis was really started by Fianna Fáil when they decided to stop building council houses across the country. And that decision was made by Noel Dempsey when he was the Minister for the Environment. And it, and it ended up that we got rid of all the housing departments in every council and that's why we're in the mess that we're in now, because we stopped building the council houses and we were left with no houses stopped. So they've got 16 months to try and sort it out. I don't think they've got enough time, and I think they'll be in trouble. Uh, I think Michal Martin, will he lead them into the next election? I can't see that happening. I don't think they will. I think, I think after he serves the time as Peter, uh, I can't see Michal Martin continuing. I don't think they'll let him continue. I think there'll be a heave against them. Who they'll put in in charge to replace Michal Martin, I don't know. I, I I I don't see who they've got. They need somebody really uh, with a Dublin base more than anyone. But is Jim O'Callaghan's the solution? I don't know. Michael McGrath is oh, sorry. Uh, Michael McGrath is a, is a very very good operator. There's no doubt about that. But he's from Cork, and um, it, it's it's in Dublin where Fianna Fáil are really struggling. It's not in rural Ireland. It's in the capital where they are really invest with the whole lot of the seats that they have, and where they're really really struggling in the opinion polls. So. You know, I would imagine that they'd like to have a leader who is from Dublin, but I, I, I don't really see anyone there who, that they've got who's going to really hit it with the Alexa at this moment in time. Okay, but, we, we, we know, will get some interesting headlines and pictures, I think, during the week because Fianna Fáil are having their kind of parliamentary party meeting in the Sleeve Russell Hotel in Cavan. Yeah, the drink tank, as it used to be called. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it'll be a far sobering occasion than it was before in years gone by when it was just one big booze up you know yes. um, they all got together so I don't know I think they've a lot of serious talking to do up there being a fall I think Finnegan I think they've all got a lot of serious talking to do uh, what I would like to see which I think would be good for the country I'd love to see the Labour Party and the Social Democrats amalgamating 
Uh, and I think you could have this, some really good, talented people between those two parties. And I think if they got together, I think you could have a really, really good, you know, middle of the road, slightly left the centre party out there who would put it up to the whole lot of um, well, well look, it's, 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 it's a simple fact. The voters were not impressed by Fianna Fáil in 2020. There's 16 months yeah. left and Fianna Fáil will be judged That's on right. what it can achieve between now and then while yeah. it's in power. Absolutely. All right. 100%. John, thanks once, uh, once again for your, for your very valuable insights into yeah. Irish political great life. Thanks, John. Okay. Cheers. Thanks. Uh, bye-bye. Now, uh, we have uh, a statement, or there was a printed statement. It's making most of the papers today, uh, actually. Uh, festivals and concerts. This is uh, attributed to a spokesperson for the Tónishta. Festivals and concerts are permitted in Ireland from Monday. The Tónishta is one of the strongest supporters of the events industry and government. He supported Electric Picnic going ahead and helped secure the reopening plan for concerts and other big events beginning on Monday. With capacity limits, that's today, with capacity limits and vaccination certificates moving to full capacity next month. The industry has received over 100 million euros in financial support from government not including uh, EWSS and PUP. The Taunishta is currently in the UK on private time where such events are allowed. Let's go to Linus on uh, line 5. Good morning Linus. Hi, good morning Mick. How are you doing? Good. How many more chances will Leo get you're asking? Yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, like uh, it Nearly on the weekly basis, so he has some uh, controversy, like you know, and uh, just uh, everything seems like you know whatever he does is just uh, oh, it's excused, excused, excused for everything, and uh, like this man should be gone, should be sacked from government forever, never come near to his position again. Why, why do you opinion. think that? Um, I mean, I know there have been, he's been waltzing, if you like, if that's the correct word, from melodrama to melodrama. The Kylie thing, uh, there there were others, uh, in, you know, there were possible lack of judgment issues on, around the, the, the leaking of certain documents or, or the passing of uh, what was seen to be a confidential document around the doctor's thing. Um, and now, do you, do you think he's doing damage to the coalition because it's hurting Fianna Fáil more than Fine Gael? Of course, it's like like uh, all the country is still in half of lockdown, okay? And uh, man just heads off to UK, goes to festival and uh, two fingers to everyone and uh, I do whatever I want because uh, I'm untouchable. Like people who are making the rules and uh, uh, who are in the government, they should lead by example. And, uh, uh, but they, they like... Do as we say, but uh, do uh, but we do as we like, like you know, for themselves, like and also like like this man. This man is just uh, so many controversies, like you know. Uh, in my opinion, he has to go. Well, you know, if if you're looking back at at the previous years, Mihol Martin held the confidence and supply agreement and propped up that Fine Gael government without any of this sort of melodrama happening to Leo Varadkar. He's being repaid now, probably very unfairly, uh, by all of these things. Maybe they're all coincidental. Um, but as Fionn Sheehan said today in the Irish Independent, beyond the hype, there are big differences to the political scenarios. Fine Gael is collectively going through a bit of a childish sulk and picking the most ill-timed moments to display its immaturity. Not a way to run a country. I know, yeah, but but um, uh, this is this is my opinion about uh, about the governments in general. We all are corrupted one or another way, and then we just uh, doing favors to each other, just uh, 
you know, I, I do this for you and you do this for me. And if you do something wrong, we forget about this because uh, you forgot about my thing and all this. This is the vicious circle. They all, they all involved. And uh, in my opinion, they all corrupted. All right, Linus. Thank you very much for that. Let's take one more Thank on you. the topic. And Anthony's on line one. Hi, Anthony. Hello. Hello. Hi, Anthony. Hi, yeah. You want to talk about Mary Lou in the interview last week, yeah? Hello. Hello, Anthony. You doing, Can yeah. you hear me? Yeah, he's. He, I just want to. I just want to basically say like that. Have your radio on there, Anthony? I have, yeah. Will you, will you please turn it off because it's just uh, feeding back here okay. and putting okay. us into a loop. Okay, if you, if you turn it off, you'll be able to hear me properly. Right. Okay, off you go. So this is Mick, this is Mick here now, is it? Yes. Oh, sorry, Mick, I thought to, uh, I was on hold by the... the no, 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 you're live on the air now. Okay, um, I just want to say, like, it's a, it's a joke now, like, we've had enough Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael's and it's it's just unreal now, the, the, the carry-ons. I know... Uh, Michal Martin can be uh, what, what, what's the word I suppose you could say like uh, the, the, the the COVID thing but like after, before that like, there was all just joke politicians going on and the same thing going on doing you know I personally feel now like that we need a change of government for some 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 decent uh, politicians and well, and, and Anthony, whatever's going on in Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael and whatever sort of spats they have between each other, these guys will cling on to power with messianic devotion until the very last day because they're going to get trounced if they go to the country right now. Well, that's, that's what I'm hoping will happen. They're, they're, they're not going to uh, verifiably I, I, I waltz themselves into the political mincer. They're going to hold on to power. Um, Mihal will hold on to power until he... Uh, hands over to Leo. What happens to Fianna Fáil right. and to Mihal after that, I don't know. Um, but you can be sure that Leo will hold, will cling to power until he has to call an election in three or four years' time. Another three or four years of this carry on. About three and a half, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, it's a joke. All right, Anthony. Thanks. Listen. Th- thank, thanks for that. I must move on. Thank you I very much. To, I, I just want to say, like, just just let Sinn Fein in 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 and see what they can do. Okay, don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, possibly uh, when, when, when the next election has to happen. Uh, that, that may be... I, I said to uh, Mary Lou last, last week, are you sorry you didn't run double the candidates? She said, of course I am. Because, yes, I remember that, yeah. Because she, you know, they, they, they would have walked away with it. Such was the appetite for change. Uh, Fianna Fáil that's and right, Fianna Gael yeah. have not recognised the appetite for change and they will probably pay the political price at the ballot box the very next time round. Well, and I hate, well, I I hate so. to be a harbinger of doom here. Um, but yeah. there's only so much a very quiet, uh, non-resistive Irish population will take. So, some someday we're going to turn into like what the French do, uh, and really, really protest. We saw it before with the elderly people protesting in Dublin. We saw it with the yes. uh, the the water charges and that debacle. Uh, and it's going to happen again. People are getting very tired of low standards in high public office. Yes, yeah, I, I agree with you one hundred percent. Okay, thanks, Anthony. 
Okay, thanks, Mick. Thanks a million. Thank bye-bye. You can contact bye-bye. the programme by phone one eight five zero one zero four one zero six or by text and WhatsApp on 0868104106. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Coming up on 13 minutes to 10 uh, by text to uh, 0868104106. It's about time Leo stood down. It's actually mind-blowing and disgusting the amount of times he's getting away with terrible judgments. And I, I was drawn to a... a report in the paper today in the sun uh, so thanks to Seamus for uh, getting this for me coffees to cost a bit more Costa bit more. Very clever. In the shops, uh, coffee lovers are facing having to pay more after soaring costs pushed prices on commodity markets to a seven-year high. Bad weather has hit supplies from Brazil, the world's largest producer, and protests in Colombia against government measures and corruptions have disrupted shipments, bringing exports to a 40-year low. So if you depend on your cup of coffee uh, in the morning to get you through the day, there's been a shortage of shipping containers in Southeast Asia, and that's another huge headache. Carlos Mera, who is a commodities market researcher at Rabobank, told the Grocer Trade magazine there have been challenges almost everywhere. It's a nightmare and experts are predicting the biggest effect will be on supermarket coffee. But because coffee accounts for only 4% of the cost of the average takeaway cup, the effect at chains such as Costa Coffee and all the other dispensers and all those companies is likely to be minimal. But watch out for uh, squeezing margins on coffee. Uh, I know one person in business in Cork who uh, traditionally was paying about two and a half thousand euros to bring in containers of his particular product from Asia. Uh, He has since been asked for twelve and a half thousand euros and the future uh, is looking like twenty five thousand euros per container. That's a a tenfold increase. So that is going to uh, obviously affect prices of everything as we live uh, here in an island nation. Now, kind of a sad story in a way, but uh, let's uh, get details on it uh, from John Ross Hunt, uh, PRO for Fountainstown Community Association. Good morning, John. Hi, Mick. How is, are you it, doing? is it John or John Ross? John Ross, yeah. Were you, <laughs> John Ross. Were you named <laughs> after J.R. Ewing? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a question I've always asked my parents, but uh, ne- never got a clear answer. My, my father's John, and my mother's from Ross, was from Ross Carberry, so that's apparently where it came from. Okay, John fair Ross. enough. Yeah. Well, I can I safely tell you you're one of a few, because you're the first yeah. John Ross I've ever spoken to on the radio. <laughs> Cheers, Nick. So you're PRO for Fountainstown Community Association. That's correct, yeah. yeah uh, and yeah, you've had something yeah, stolen sure. from your community. Yeah, so... Um, th- Last April, or sorry, this April, we got a funding from the Cork County Council to get a defibrillator installed by the beach. Um, so we got funding through the COVID-19 emergency fund. We've been trying for quite a, quite a while to get funding for, for a unit to be put in. You know, it's a life-saving piece of equipment that can, you know, help if someone needs CPR. So it's obviously a vital piece of equipment for some, you know, an area near the beach or near the seaside. So we're very lucky to get it. And unfortunately... Between Wednesday, last Wednesday and Friday morning, the unit was stolen. So, um, yeah, very disappointed. And, you know, trying to get the word out there to those who took it, hopefully that they might see sense and return it to us, you know. Okay. They or their loved ones might be the, the needy recipient of the services of that defibrillator, of course. What type of mindset would steal a defibrillator that's there to help people and save lives? That's it. And, you know, I, I suppose it could be some young people maybe that were taking the mick and you know, decided to, to to take it out of the cabinet and take it away with them or you know there could be some I suppose a malicious intent there as well someone trying to sell it on but you know there's really no there's no market for these you know they're and it they're, must be like robbing a car and expecting to sell it without repercussions it's, they're obviously exactly. code numbered 
There's obviously a, a sort of a chassis number on, on the defib. They're registered and, you know, they need to be maintained by a, by an approved kind of service provider, you know, so that they're not the kind of things really you can be passing around. Um, you know, they need to be maintained over time um, and serviced and things like that. So, you know, we, we, we don't think there's any real monetary value to them. Um, so, yeah, we're just appealing really to get to, the, to those who took it to maybe think about it, you know, it could be them, could be their loved ones who, you know, have a cardiac arrest and, and, and are dependent on, on one of these units. So, um, yeah, we're really just trying to ask the person or people who took it to, to maybe think about it and, you know, if they were to get it back to us in one piece, we'd, um, you know, wouldn't go any further than that. Like, you know, we yeah. we would we wouldn't pursue it with the guards if they, if we were to get it back. So, yeah, we're just trying to get the word out there, really, to, to hopefully appeal to people's good nature, if, if that's possible. Yeah, no, I, I know a Cork company have very generously uh, generously said they may be in a position to help, uh, but nothing's yeah. been confirmed just yet. So, I don't want to put them on the, on a public spotlight mm-hmm. uh, just yet. Yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. be happy to if they if they come across and help you. But the defib was taken out of its box only once during its time at the beach. Is that correct? Yeah, we've been fortunate out this summer, you know, there was no no very serious incidents. There was one young chap got, got into trouble right one um one morning it needed to be taken out of the cabinet, but it wasn't actually used in that case. So um you know, it's been lucky that it hasn't been required. But you know, it's it's really only a matter of time with, with the volumes of people coming down to the fountains down now. Huge increase in, in people, you know, sea swimming these days, lots of people coming down here for exercise. You know, lovely walks down here, of course, and you know, great, you know, a couple of great beaches. So, you know, the the, um, the footfall and the cars coming down here has, has increased vastly over the last, um, well, particularly over the COVID period. You know, so yeah, it's it's an important piece of equipment, and um, you know, we just hope that you know th- those that took it can can maybe have a think about it, and, and you know somehow make contact with us you know um, we, we've got a Facebook page there where they can make contact if they do want if they do think they could drop it back you know that would be or I, I imagine if it's dropped back into a in, you know in, in, into a local area it'll be seen anyway uh, exactly. if they're afraid to make contact somebody listening must know somebody who might know somebody who took the defibrillator so uh, if you could just impress on them really that it's look it's not it's not going to be saleable by you you will be tracked mm-hmm. down you will be prosecuted if you try to sell it but if you give it back right now not only will you be helping to possibly save lives but there won't be any other further le- legal repercussions uh, exactly. if you don't give it back you're taking the chance that you will eventually come to justice that's it. Yeah, that's it. And I told as well, it's the same thing we'd appeal to other you know, other community groups and clubs who may have one of these units installed, you know, maybe maybe do some more regular checking on it and, and maybe evaluate the security you have on these units because, you know, they're they are very expensive, you know, it's a thousand euro piece of equipment. Yeah, and, and, and the pads um, need to be need to be changed every use as well. They're on they're single use, aren't they? That's correct, yeah. So they they all need to be um you know, you need to purchase them every time they're used. So, uh, yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a fair amount in, in, in looking after them and maintaining them, making sure that they're going to work when they're, when they're actually required, you know? It's like stealing a life ring at a, at a beach or a river. Absolutely no good to anybody unless they're in trouble in the water. That's it, yeah. That, that's it, exactly. Oh. You know, it's hard, hard to understand why anyone would, exactly. would, would want to do this, you know? All right, John Ross, thanks a million. Uh, we hope you'll get it back. Keep in touch. And if that core company come through for you, we'd be very happy to publicise who they are and their oh, generosity too. Yeah. Thanks, thanks a million. Cheers. Bye bye. One call before 10 o'clock. Seamus is on line one. Good morning, Seamus. Good morning, mate. How are you doing? Good. Fina Gale and Fina Fall, toxic? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, the toxicity of um, Fina Gale is just beyond a joke now. It's insulting to the people. I mean, only last week we had Simon Coveney on um, on the news making a public appeal, the, uh, appeal to the, to the public at large to um, 
to house and, and host basically uh, Afghan refugees. Um, and I just wondered to myself when I was listening to it, you know, like where was the where was the public appeal to support housing homeless children that they've locked up under their tenure and power, which has tripled since 2007 in terms of numbers. That's the number of homeless children that are in this country. The only people looking after that are the only, you know, public representative really uh, of any, you know, credibility in this country that's looking after those people is um, Father Peter McCurry. Um, but if he was in politics, we'd have a, a country run properly, but then... Um, just the double standards of uh, Fianna Gael, it's just beyond... The I'm, not, really, I'm not sure yeah. it's a fair analogy, Seamus, uh, people running for their lives versus people who are homeless here. I, I know it's it's one... Yeah, I, I, I understand the, the, you know, the, the downgraded situation, so it's, it's, it's kind of out of our hands at some level, and, uh, and I understand that, but, you know, the, the double standards are there under their term, you know, the number of homeless children, the richest, one of the richest countries in the world has uh, tripled since 2007. But is, no. isn't, isn't it the, the unfortunate lot <laughs> of a coalition uh, that you're kind of hamstrung as to what you can do because you're shooting yourself in the foot if you summarily dismiss one of the leading players of, of, of uh, your, yeah, your partner party? Problem. I think that's part of the problem, really, is just the, the electorate themselves. You know, educate yourself on the, the, the voting card. Leo Varadkar only got in the power on the fifth count of uh, the, the, the votes of the last time and a lot of those votes are just... Uh, most of the main players in government oh, no. uh, and most of the senior uh, players um, are, are in on the fourth, fifth, sixth counts. Yeah, well, I don't think they will next time. I think realistically they're going to see a Sinn Féin possibly Fianna Fáil government. That's probably where it's going to go. That's another uh, seismic change in Fianna Fáil's direction if that well, happens. Well, it's Fianna Fáil are finished under uh, Michal Martin. Fianna Fáil are, you can say... I don't think they have enough time to even build themselves back. Don't forget, I've got 16 you know. months and I've got no time before we go to news at 10. Yeah. <laughs> but thanks very much, Seamus. <laughs> Cheers. Bye bye. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national, and international sport every weekend on the Big Red Bench. That's the Big Red Bench every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850 Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prendival Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. Now, 25 or 30 years ago, when I was going to all the festivals, there was a couple of names you needed in your back pocket if you wanted to try and get a ticket or if you wanted to try and get a little bit of access to a band or maybe a, a backstage drink. And one of those names was certainly Mr. Justin Green. Good morning, Justin. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. You're in, you're in the music promotion business for as long as I'm interested in music, I feel, are you? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I would tend to knock off 10 years or so, so I mean, you've introduced me now, so you've kind of aged me, but yeah, okay. no, I've been involved, uh, yeah, going back to the early, uh, to the start of Fela's, uh in Tipperary, and all the way through the 90s, and uh, onwards up to today, so okay. yeah, intrinsically Im- involved be- within be- the before, whole Before we get on, on to the topics of the day, Fela 91 was, for me, was was the best festival ever. Uh, there was a sort of a deal that yourself and Dennis Desmond, I think, were working together at the time, did with the artists and that they, they'd come backstage and they couldn't play their own set. Uh, that they'd come back for 20 or 30 minutes and the only one, I think, that was allowed to play his own set was Paul Brady. So we kind of had Crowded House doing Elvis and then you had The Stunning doing Crowded House and then Paul Brady doing Paul Brady. It was just an incredible time. We were there with Kirsty McCall, God Lover, and uh, probably the last time that uh, we met in such a fashion. But they... Those were the days. And are those days coming back now from today? Well, we hope so. I mean, it's a work in progress, uh, as as we've said. But unfortunately, uh, currently, 
60% or 75% for outdoor, 60% for indoor, it remains unviable for the non-funded sector. So effectively, you know, what you have is the funded sector, the arts will be able to uh, do, you know, will be able to perform. There will be a number of, they will be able to return to an extent because they actually receive taxpayers' money to underwrite the rest of their actual uh, finances. However, for the commercial sector that is not subsidised, uh, it remains uh, totally uh, financially unviable for them to return until we get to 100% capacity because anyone who knows the business will uh, confirm that it's around 90% is your break even when you're actually working on an awful lot of the larger events. So it just means that it's a continued mandate of closure until the 22nd of October, Mm -hmm. which is another seven weeks away, which will bring the grand total of uh, nearly 19, over 19 months we will be in lockdown as mandated closure uh, for the sector um, and uh, which is uh, very very unfortunate um, and we've been calling on the government to release the data to support the scientific data to show that it actually you know that uh, this continued uh, closure is justified uh, but as yet they haven't done that over the last uh, 18 months as such. Okay, but festivals in the UK, there is no restrictions, there's full contact, no masks. Yeah, in the UK there has been, and it's not just the UK, it's been across the states. I mean, you may be aware that Bruce Springsteen has been performing in Broadway since the 26th of June. Uh, He's performing shows there. You've had Foo Fighters playing in Madison Square Garden. Then in the UK, uh, last month, you had uh, the the likes of uh, uh, Latitude taking place. Um, You've had the British Grand Prix has taken place. So it's not just music events. it's, It's all events comedy theatre and you've seen a whole return to that and the systems that they put in place have been fairly robust in terms of the requirements to enter as in in New York you needed to be fully vaccinated and I suppose the frustration for the Irish sector is is that uh, we had proposed um, um, robust systems that would be more robust than the current Department of Health or the HSE in terms of allowing people to enter a venue. And that would have been where they're fully vaccinated. And we've been putting that forward since uh, June, about the 22nd of June, actually. Uh, We've been uh, proposing that, along with running a number of pilot events. Because while the actual government do allow pilot events, uh, that they have designated pilot events, of the 198 approximately, that have been designated as pilot events, only eight are actually entertainment events. All the rest are all sport, which is the reason that the likes of your, um, you know, the All-Ireland Hurling finals or the football finals or the ladies yesterday were able to go ahead, which is great to see that going ahead. And we fully welcome it. And it's great to have the crowds at the sporting games. But all we're looking for is a level playing field. And I suppose what... Uh, annoyed an awful lot of the industry was the fact that at the All-Ireland final you had Micheál Martin uh, turning up. Uh, you had a live you know, band uh, playing, Justin. A live band were playing to more than 200 people, the Artane Boys band. Yeah, well, that's what they said. But, I mean, Micheál Martin turned up at that event 
uh, he attended it and there was no protocol, zero contact tracing, zero uh, entry requirements in terms of COVID certificates. And by him even endorsing it, it just was inappropriate. And you have to take it in the context. Five days beforehand, he turned down the whole sector returning to work, 35,000 people returning to work, whereby they had proposed protocols for the fully vaccinated. Not even, you know, you needed to be fully vaccinated. We wouldn't even accept antigen. We wouldn't accept anything below uh, fully vaccinated measures. So um, they have been, you know, you know, we have been holding out. We were the first open. We definitely, or sorry, we were the first to close. We're definitely going to be the last open. Um, and we're just calling on the government to uh, speed the process up. I mean, you had, you know, Leo Varadka attending a festival in the UK at the weekend. But yet, you know, f- you know, a number of days beforehand, uh, 3,000 jobs were lost by the confirmation that Electric Picnic would not be going ahead. Um, this year for the fully vaccinated um, and it just seems to be double standards really and okay, just, just, just for clarity just I, I, I don't think you know a Cork tissue of not attending uh, an All-Ireland final that that Cork were playing and would would go down too well uh, and Tony de Leo Varadkar had nothing to do really with the cancellation of Electric Picnic directly he, he, he was voting for it well th- what we had proposed was was that they would make it a pilot event and yeah. it had been proposed uh um, eight weeks prior to that and it had been proposed a number of times and uh, the government did not uh, support that. Okay. Um, so it is important, like going back as far as the 22nd of June or sorry, July, uh, it had been proposed as a pilot event to make it a pilot event um, and it would be at no cost to the taxpayer unlike the other pilot events that have taken place, for example in Kamenum um, that happened, you may recall, in, uh, in I think it was the 4th, the 3rd or 4th of July, you know, and that cost the taxpayer, you know, into the millions to put on an event, um, you know, for antigen testing. And we're yet to see the results from that. Mm-hmm. And I, I take it, I, I wasn't aware it was 90%, but I have worked with bands in the past and been involved in radio stations co-promoting gigs and that. And I know that a lot of artists, uh, especially artists of prominence, uh, work on an 80% uh, stroke guarantee. In other words, mm-hmm. they're, they're entitled to 80% of the take uh, against, uh, let's say, a 10,000 euro guarantee. So they'll get 10 grand or they'll get 80% of the take, whichever is the higher figure. And then the promoter has to make their money, if you like, and pay for the venue and the security and the sound and all of that stuff uh, from the remaining 20%. Is that a fair analogy? Yeah, and that's where you come up to approximately 90%. Uh, I mean, every deal is different, but the average would be your 90%. And you've got to bear in mind is that, you know, there's the venue charges and all of that on top um, that are actually play into place here. And because of the uncertainty, uh, regarding the Irish sector returning, it's just meant that an awful lot of artists are now by- bypassing um, Ireland as a, uh, you know, on their touring map. So, for example, um, you know, there are shows will continue to be cancelled or postponed right up until the 22nd of October until we get the 100% capacity because, as I said, it's just financially unviable. So you will see shows continue to be postponed or cancelled in the likes of the three arenas or the bigger venues um, because they just can't just can't make it work. Um, also, the big thing coming down the tracks is the issue of insurance. 
So insurance post-pandemic is going to be a huge issue for the sector. Um, And in the UK and other European markets, they have introduced where the government have brought in a scheme of um, uh, an insurance scheme to allow the sector to recover. Um, And we're also looking for the, we've been asking the government of Ireland since June 2020 for that and no progress has been made on it whatsoever. So that is going to be a big challenge for an awful lot of the larger events and for uh, promoters and people that are involved in the event industry. Do you think, Justin, that there is a bias, fair or unfair, a bias against alcohol and entertainment together uh, from Neffet, the Chief Medical Officer, and, and, and the Cabinet? Well, to be honest with you... Um, you know, whatever our thoughts are on that, the fact is, the reality is, is, is that uh, Tony Hula came out and actually said he didn't have a problem with uh, Electric Picnic going ahead for the fully vaccinated. We've subsequently received uh, confirmation from the government that Electric Picnic uh, could go ahead, but however, it was too late at this stage, um, you know, in terms of that, that it could go ahead under the new Uh, conditions that were announced and uh, we had a call with the department last Wednesday and at that call it was confirmed that you know there is no restriction on alcohol at events or camping events um, under the current uh, guidelines so for events and festivals taking place going forward currently from today you can have uh, alcohol or beverages uh, and food served um, and that will remain the case right up to the 22nd and then from the 22nd it will be hopefully back to normal for the sector because what you've got to remember is an awful lot of festivals and that and venues actually subsidise the ticket price by the income from uh, and food and beverage yeah. Yeah, and concessions exactly and uh, that's all factored in when you're, when you're planning I mean we've just had you know events like Disney on Ice now that has been coming to Ireland for you know, nearly 25 years, they're not going to be able to come this year because of the current restrictions in place. Um, and they are actually going to, the plan is for them to perform in Belfast as they would normally do. But the Republic of Ireland is off the map. And that's wow. happening not just for that show, but for an enormous amount of other shows um, uh, because of the current uncertainty regarding the actual sector. So if, if you were to run a viable concert, Justin, between now and the 22nd of October, you would literally have to double the ticket price to make money. Well, you'd lose money. I mean, let's face it, nobody wants to double any ticket price for the consumer or very aware that Ireland has a greater percentage to attend events than uh, anywhere in Europe where, number one, more people actually attend uh, music events and entertainment events in Ireland. Two to one is the ratio compared to the UK per population. So, I mean, we've built that up over many years. You reflected on the failure, the good times. Um, you know, people are very loyal. Uh, the industry is, is, you know, has worked very hard. It's very, you know, we've, we're known in this, you know, across the world in, in, in our safety standards and quality. I mean, one thing is, is that last week there and the week before, you had cream fields on in the UK. You had Reading, you had Leeds on. And all these festivals taking place and the key thing was was that if you actually look at the amount of Irish people involved in running those events 
you know, it, it outweighs the size of our country. Like, it's unbelievable how well respected our, our industry is internationally. And now all we're asking the government is to respect our, us um, ourselves and to let the industry return. Okay. There's been no scientific evidence whatsoever produced to, um, you know, to to continue this closure and to support the continued closure. So what we're looking to do is, is that you have 100% back on public transport. Um, you know, what we're looking to do is, is to increase it to 100% for the fully vaccinated and uh, there's no difference between you know the 60 and 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 the 100% because you already don't have social distancing in place with 60% so we're saying move it up to 100% and let the sector it's, uh, it's se- seven weeks let, let let the sector begin to survive again let- yeah yeah, okay. Let's, exactly. let, just one final question, and let's look brightly to the future if we can, Justin. What sort of goodies have you guys got in line for us when uh, everything is A-OK to attend 100%? Well, I think next year, um, you know, looking forward, if the supports are there from government um, into next year, because we're not out of it, um, and that's the thing, even when we do recover, when we come back, is is that there is going to have to be a scaffolding fund to hold the sector upright to get it into the uh, you know next year and into the end of next year, and we would actually see that the sector could take actually two to three years to recover. Having said that, um, I think that there's an awful lot of Irish people out there with tickets who have hung on to their tickets for rescheduled shows. They'll all take place next year, along with additional shows uh, for artists who have released. Um, you know, albums or material in between. Sure. We've just had the announcement there from uh, the script that, you know, that they've added. Uh, I know they're already playing in, in Musgrave uh, Park uh, in Cork there. And, you know, that show has been rescheduled, I think, about three times. They're going to do that show next year. It's going to happen. And equally so, they have now announced uh, a greatest hits um, two nights in the three arena. And they also had a night in Belfast and that sold out on Friday and they've added an extra night. So the demand is there, you know, people want to get out. All we're looking for is for the government to give us that opportunity. And rather than delay the torture for another seven weeks, just let the sector return. We know what we're doing. We have the safety protocols in place and all we're asking is to allow that happen. Seems to make sense to me. Thanks a million promoter Justin Green is a member of the Event Industry Alliance and Promoters Forum. Thanks Justin. Best of luck Thank with all the music that's, uh, that's to come. I think we're going to be spoiled for choice next year. Thank you very much. Now then, we can uh, give you your phone number now, one eight five zero one zero four one zero six, and on text and WhatsApp 0868104106. Now then... <clears throat> Something a little more unusual. Oh, the day the goat broke loose in Lotebeg. Good morning, Anthony. Good morning, Mick. How are you? There's a goat wandering around Lotebeg in Mayfield. There is indeed, yes. And he's I, got a guard escort. I've got a picture of him. He looks like the King of Puck or something. Anyway. Yeah, I, yeah he's got two guard cars following him around okay. the place. And he's after heading down towards um, the Lotebeg school. Okay, this should be a bit of a novelty for the children as long as they're kept safe inside. <laughs> if, they get, if they get to see him. Yeah. So, uh, uh, any idea where he came from? I have absolutely no idea. I know there's a few farms that are around at uh, near the Mayfield, uh, Sock or GX pitch. But he could have come from anywhere, to be honest. He could have come from down towards um, uh, the Glanmire area, you know. Okay. There's a lot of it, yeah. And he's just wandering around. He's got two huge horns. 
and uh, the poor guy is lost. He's lost. You know, he's just uh, it's, you know. Yeah, I'm. I, uh, the picture we have is kind of taken from behind, but he does look as though he's yeah, been I could, yeah, up to his oxters in mud. I had four dogs with me on leads, so I couldn't let them go. They were going mental. To get at him, or, or what? Well, no, no. Well, they were just barking at him. As, you know, when they don't get to see a goat very much. They're all dogs, you know? Okay. That's so, a strange one. And, and the, the two... Yeah. Uh, have the locals named the goat? Oh, no, I don't think so, but I'd say you could name him Leo or Simon or Michal. <laughs> <laughs> Leo and Lothabeg. Yeah, Leo and L- Lothabeg. Okay, so brilliant. I don't, know if they could, I don't know if they're able to catch him or not. You know, that he's, uh, he's fairly wild and, and big. You, know? yeah, you can see he's pretty big, yeah. Um, and and pr- I'm probably dangerous to, uh, to traffic as well, maybe. M- maybe the guards are escorting him just to keep the public safe, and maybe they're waiting right. for the uh, CSPCA or something to, to come yeah, along. I would say so. And, and capture him so. humanely and, and return him to uh, wherever. Yeah. Anyway, if you're missing yeah. a goat, one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Thanks a million, Anthony. Okay, you're Cheers. welcome. Thank Thanks. Bye bye. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Monday morning, 28 minutes past 10. This is Mick Mulcahy. Now, I had uh, an email to get to on Friday that we got last week. I just didn't have time to get to it. I want to read it out right now. Uh, The title really is A Child Refusing to Go to School Due to Having No Friends. Hi, Mick. Would you mind bringing up this sensitive issue on the show, please? I have an issue with a secondary school my daughter is attending, and I'm looking for advice. She is a very introverted 14-year-old who doesn't mix well. Since she started school in September 2020, she's been miserable and withdrawn. She's been separated from her friends um, by the school and put in a class where she knows no one. She hasn't made any friends and no one talks to her in the class, as they're all from the same primary school. I've been on to the principal since day one and she refuses to move the child to another class. She uses the excuse of COVID quite a lot. Now she plays sports with one class and sits on the bus with another girl from another class and has close relatives in a different class. The child is crying every morning and refusing to go and it's just heartbreaking. I've spoken once again to the principal and she won't move her but says she needs counselling. Have any of your listeners been in this position and can offer any advice? Please withhold my name. Your uh, calls and comments on that are welcome on 1850104106 or you can text or WhatsApp 0868104106. Claire Hayden, good morning to you. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. Now, we had scheduled to talk to you today. It's sadly topical, of course, with the passing of Sarah Harding. Will we just uh, talk about her for a minute? Uh, gone so young at 39 and, and lost to breast cancer. Of course, you're recovering from breast cancer. And um, it's really, really sad to get that news yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it's it's terribly sad for, you know, at such a young age. Um, and, you know, our thoughts are with her um, family and friends. And I suppose, if anything, it really um, reinforces the message of the importance of being aware um, and, you know, going to our GPs and, um, you know, presenting with any changes, um, really. Um, it's so important. We read a lot about, you know, the the importance of mammograms but for a lot of women who aren't the age of when mammograms do start it's something that we need to really be mindful of as well. Okay, let's talk about your story in a moment and your particular journey Uh, but right now for everybody who's listening uh, out there and I mean male and female, what are uh, the things to look for uh, in a partner look for collectively, look for as a woman Um, what, what are the 
the vagaries, I suppose, of, uh, you know, you feel something un, unnatural. Is, is it a physical yeah. lump or is it, a, is it an itch? Um, is it a kind of a... It can be anything that's different. Like, you know, we, I suppose, for a lot of people, you think of breast cancer, you automatically think, okay, there's going to be a lump there. And, you know, but for so many, there isn't. Um, it can be puckering of the skin, changes in breast size. Um, and then outside of all of that, it can just be feeling um, uh, feeling unwell, just not feeling like yourself. And the thing is, is that you're not actually, you know, for a lot of people, there's the idea of, look, geez, I don't want to be going and wasting time at the doctors and more than ever, they're so busy now. And I understand that. And that's so but the wrong feeling, isn't it? That's, that's the yeah, wrong thing to be, to be thinking. Absolutely, because they're delighted to be able to rule out all of these things. And for the majority of people um, that even present to the doctor with a lump, for the majority of them, it's not breast cancer. But for me, unfortunately, at 38, it was. Okay, that was a year ago. That was a year ago, yeah. And uh, I I went to the doctor and went very quickly for my triple assessment. Um, and I was, um, I was diagnosed um, in September. So just this, yeah, a year ago. So um, I went through mastectomy and four and a half months of chemo. And um, geez, it was, it was like, in ways, it seems so much longer than, than a year ago. Um, but then in other ways, um, it was a whirlwind. And you're just wow. on it. And you just have to, you just have to go with it. And the, the care you get is amazing. Um, but you're kind of in a haze and you're just getting through as best you can. And the people that get you through that are your family and your friends um, and the professionals, the doctors and the nurses. They're all amazing. But um, there just seems to be so many younger women. Um, and even when I was having my chemo, that really struck me sitting in the um, in the chemo ward was the amount of young women um, that were sitting there with me and um, going through it. Um, so just for anyone listening in today that might be putting it on the long finger, you know, get get into your GP, make that appointment. It's so important. Okay. And after the GP refers you somewhere, how fast can you get what you called your triple assessment, is it? Your, your, your triple assessment. So um, to be honest with you, it depends on, there's a lot of things that come into that. So oh, don't say it depends on your insurance now. No, no, no. It depends on when you go into the doctor, what you're presenting with. Okay. So if what I mean by that was I went with a lump. There was no family history and I was seen a few days later. Um, I suppose if you popped in and you were feeling a little bit tired and there was no lump or and no family history, they may decide to run your bloods and do different things. So if you need to be seen, I found the services amazing. Um, right up to when I was waiting to have my surgery and I was I was public. Um, I had my sur- I was diagnosed on the 8th of September and I had my surgery on the 28th of September. So, you know, you hear a lot of awful stories about the HSE, but genuinely for me, everything I needed every step of the way was done so quickly. And I was so grateful for that um, because I've got two young kids and I just wanted to be a home out of hospital and back here with them, you know. Um, so, so yeah. Okay, now two weeks after your diagnosis, you had to undergo that mastectomy. Yeah, I did. Um, and look, you know, of course, everything that comes with that, I was like, you know, I was afraid of the surgery. Um, I I just, I was very nervous of afterwards. Um, but the other thing was that I was looking at it, that the cancer was gone. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 
in any house, um, cancer and having surgeries like that, it's so frightening. And it's frightening for the people around you as well. Um, and I, I guess when you have two children, you're going to be of the mindset, whatever needs to happen, you need to make it, it happen here because I want to live on. Exactly. And you do. And that's the first, I think for anybody, the first thought is like, you know, when you're told, look, it is cancer. Um, you know, you, you, I'm a, I want to be able to see them grow up. I want to be there for my kids and for my family. And, you know, for anyone having to tell even your parents or your friends, um, incredibly hard and you want to protect the people around you from from it but the only thing is is um that people kids especially are unbelievably resilient and we decided to have little laughs along the way with different things like you know losing hair and stuff like that is is hard but having jokes along the way when you know at, at a time that's really difficult you have to ha- you have to do that okay um, and and my kids were you know, one minute, obviously, very afraid themselves. And then the next minute with kids, it's, you know, what's for dinner? And, like, there's a match on this evening or, like, and normal. Did you feel that being open on. with them? How old are they? And, and did being um, open with them help? Yeah, my oldest boy started this year in first year. So he's going to be 13. And my younger boy is 10, Michael and Kean. So um, I suppose, I look, I told them what I felt would take away the worry. So I told them I was going to be okay. And I talked to them a bit about the medicine that would make my hair fall out and uh, other stuff that didn't need to be told to them. Um, I didn't because there was no need. The main thing they needed to know was that I'm going to be okay, um, and this is just going to be, um, you know, I'll be in in and out of hospital a bit more. There'll be a lot of appointments, but it's all getting me better. Okay, and that was that was how we we dealt with it. I'm going to ask this question, and I ask this question, Claire, with a certain sense of admiration for you. How how does somebody who has a breast removed two weeks after a diagnosis of breast cancer uh, and undergoing grueling procedures and treatments for a year stay so positive? Your friends and family, and um, they get you through, and you know. Like there was times where I, um, God, I don't. I suppose with COVID and with everything that was going on, it would be very easy to, to put yourself away from everything, and you feel. I suppose your your confidence is a bit. You know, you you just you don't really feel you anymore. Um, but I had um, I have an amazing husband and my family, like I said, and my group of friends that. You know, in the days where you don't think you can lift your head off the pillow, they're they're getting you back smiling again. And um, yeah, I suppose I'd be lying if I didn't say that there was really, really tough days. But um, I suppose, you know, that lifts and you start getting stronger and you start feeling healthier and you start um, loving the the, the new you, I suppose, in a way, whatever surgeries and whatever you've undergone. I suppose I look at it now that my, my body's done amazing things um, and it's allowed me to live and it's allowed me t- the chance to see my kids grow up. So um, if the mastectomy was part of that plan, then that that was what had to happen. Wow, that's an amazing, resilient attitude to have. Uh, how much do you think a positive mental attitude is necessary and has perhaps carried you through? I think it's a huge part of it. Um, and that's not saying that there isn't days that chemo doesn't knock you to your knees because it does. Um, but overall, just believing for me, it was the only way. I found it hard to take in the chances of not getting better. You know, I needed to go to a place that I'm going to be okay. 
but also this morning while I'm talking to you I'm, I'm really mindful maybe of people that are listening in where that isn't the scenario um, and to those people I send all my love and I really honestly mean that you know I um, I am just so grateful to have had the opportunity to um, to get to get better from this but you, your attitude I suppose and feeling like things are are you know the brighter days are ahead mm-hmm. um, that kept me going and now, um, and I do believe the best is yet to come you know Fantastic now I don't know where you got the time or the inclination or the courage or the application to do it but you wrote a song during your arduous journey and that song is called Piece by Piece and it's been released as a music video with Brian Casey of Wayfield Recording Studios and AV3 Media tell me a little about that so yeah, um, I suppose I, I always love music and I, I um, while I work in a primary school, that'd be my background, I work in, in Camola National School, um, so hi to everyone there. Um, I decided kind of halfway through to just try to find to do something constructive. You know, you have a lot of time and you, you I decided I wanted to just write a song. So um, I wrote this song and I hope it does resonate and, um, you know, that people can relate to it, not just necessarily that are going through cancer, but in many different ways um, that life can become difficult sometimes. But um, the main thing is that it's for an amazing charity called Breast Cancer Ireland. So if anyone would like to, um, they can visit breastcancerireland.com and they can make a, a donation there. And they are an amazing charity because they continue to provide outreach and, um, you know, educational programs um, that really help with, um, you know, breast cancer research down the line. And that is just so important. So, yeah, it's for an amazing charity. Um, and um, I hope that people enjoy so. Okay. And people may know you from Kumola School as uh, the special needs assistant there. Did you miss much work during your... I did. I was. I. I was. Um, I was off, kind of, pretty much from that September. So I miss the kids fierce out there. You know, they're great, and and the staff were like a little family out there. It's a lovely country school. Um, but really, you are. It's like another extended, extended family. So, um, but I, I am still receiving some treatment. Um, so once that's finished, which it will be in October, I'm looking forward to getting back into the classroom with all the kids there. Um, and all the giggles that come with that as well. Oh, fabulous. And, and you have such a positive attitude. Uh, and I love the, oh, the way you asked you. You ask us to do this. Is there any way you would consider playing this song on your radio station, please? The name of the song is called Piece by Piece. I would think, considering what you've gone through, it's the very least we could do. So uh, oh, tell you. people just uh, a quick intro to the song and how they can donate to your very worthy charity. Yeah, well, I just hope um, that people enjoy the song and the words resonate somehow. And again, the main goal is, um, you know, to um, for Breast Cancer Ireland, if anyone can go on to, to breastcancerireland.com and make a donation of any size, it's so appreciated. And for anyone going through breast cancer at the moment, I'm sending all my love um, to you and your families. Um, so thanks so much, Mick, and everyone there for giving me the chance to come on this morning. All the way from Bantry, a Bantry woman, a mum, recovering from breast cancer. She's written a song. This is it. Claire, I'm full of admiration for you. And uh, stay positive and the very best to luck with the continuing procedures. Thanks so much, Mick. Mind okay. yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You made it. You're through. Saying it didn't get a hold of you 
Not quite sure of this version of herself, you know. One day she's a warrior, another day so weak. Well, someday she feels like a jigsaw puzzle where she's losing herself piece by piece. Standing by a mirror, a stranger stares right back. Not quite sure of each other, but determined to get their life back on track. One day she's a warrior. That's Claire Hayden and Peace by Peace. That uh, vocal is of Adele quality. Uh, I wouldn't have thought that uh, voice came from Cork or from Bantry or anything like that. It's absolutely international sounding. Very, very strong. And if you know the context of the song, I think it's very, very hard hitting uh, and really gets the message across uh, about, you know, the jigsaw puzzle and piece by piece. Absolutely brilliant. Well done to Claire Hayden. Delighted to play it. BreastCancerIreland.ie if you want to make a donation there to that very worthy cause. But that was well worth playing. Claire Hayden and piece by piece. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And a very good morning to you from the Neil Prendival Show coming up on 11 minutes to 11 o'clock. And Catherine Hallisey is a child psychologist and joins me on line one. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning. Now, we read in the email about a young girl who wouldn't go to school because uh, she's refusing to go because of having no friends. Uh, just to synopsize it, she's been separated from her friends by the school, uh, putting her in a different class and, and where she knows nobody. She hasn't made any new friends. The principal doesn't seem to want to uh, listen and, and move her back. Uh, and uh, she's kind of torn, I suppose, between 
wanting her friends and just making it easier to stay at home and crying every day before she goes out to school. Uh, where should the mother uh, seek solace or what can she do to repair this situation? You know, the first thing, Mick, you know, to say that my heart really went out to this family when I heard you reading this out, you know, and unfortunately, it's actually quite common. You know, we tend to think of kids refusing to go to school as it being a behaviour issue, but often it's an emotional issue like this. And it sounds like this mom is really at her wit's end as to how she can help. And her first port of call, which is going to the school, which is the right thing to do. Unfortunately, that didn't work. But there are a number of other things that she can do. And what I would suggest she do separate to being with her daughter is actually write out a list of all of the things relating to this and then separate them into two columns. One is what you can control and one is what you can't. Okay. So it would be easy to be fixated on getting her moved to another class, but that's really outside her control right now. Now, I'll give some suggestions for that as well. But really, the first thing is going right back to basics, because when her daughter, it sounds like she's really, really anxious. And the first step in anxiety management strategies is looking at what you can control and then seeing what are the big hitters in terms of emotions and anxiety. And like the number one is sleep. You know, getting the sleep on track and getting outside movement is so, so fantastic for anyone. But teenage girls often stop um, engaging in sports, especially with the last 18 months that we've had. And that can have a huge impact on anxiety and emotions as well. So really going right back to basics. So you're looking at diet and, and proper sleep. How, how can a 14 year old girl sleep if she's worried about going into school the following morning, though? Yeah, so look, anxiety and sleep difficulties go hand in hand. But again, there are a number of things that you can control in regards to sleep. So getting outside in the middle of the afternoon boosts your melatonin production, which is the thing that gets you on the sleepy train. Uh, You know, reducing caffeine foods, making sure you're moving your body to release some of the stress hormones and and the adrenaline, you know, that builds up when we're anxious. And then, you know, making sure the room is dark. Look, it's all the basics. You know, using guided meditations, which are absolutely fantastic. When you're anxious at night, you need to give your brain something to do. And that's why guided meditations work. And these are all things that I, I use with teenagers in my clinic with huge success. You know, so like the the sleep is key. So that's all the things that they can do. In terms of with the school, I would definitely go back to the school. I would give it another try. See who in the team there is the designated person for supporting kids who are finding it hard to go to school. There will be someone there. It might be the learning support teacher or it might be somebody else. So you're, you're looking at maybe schooling her from home for a little bit and ramping up her attendance at school as her confidence grows. Look, the ideal situation, unless homeschooling is your choice, you know, homeschooling is brilliant when it's your choice. When you're forced into it, it's not great. So the goal is getting her into school as much as possible, but you need that supportive team in the school. So, like, she needs a key contact person, someone that she can go to when she's stressed out. And because, like, especially when she doesn't have that support network in terms of friendships. So if there is an adult that she can go to and even a place to go to, um, you know, that is incredibly helpful. But like if she's actually out of school, then you need a return to school plan. And ideally, you would have professional support for that. 
whether it's a, th- a therapist or someone in the school who is specialising in this. And, um, you know, and it, I suppose the goal is getting her into school as much as possible and gradually increasing it. And, and if, if, if she doesn't have, and it doesn't seem as though she does have the support or the kind ear of the principal in this case, um, isn't any other officer of the school or any other staff member of the school going to be going essentially against the principal and helping? You see, I'm wondering, could there be other stuff going on here as well? Look, I'm just basing this off one email. Yes. You know, so as are we, to be fair. Yeah, look, sometimes there are uh, there are other things going on in the school. Sometimes principals don't actually realise the extent of this. They might think, oh yeah, she just wants to get off school. And they mightn't actually realise the context. So that's why I'm thinking about giving it another go. And it, like this girl needs a team around her. You know, I would definitely be chatting, saying to the mom to chat to the GP as well and see if she needs more support. And like the more support I'm thinking about, it could be a therapist or it could be primary care psychology service. You know, it just feels like there's more going on here because even when you're separated with your friends, ideally you would be, from your friends, ideally you'd be able to cope with it. So I feel that she needs a bit of support around anxiety management strategies and also building up those coping skills mm-hmm. so that even when things are going wrong, that she's able to cope a little bit better. Yeah, I suppose essentially you're going to school to learn not to be with your friends and you can see your friends after school, can't you? Well, look, I suppose it's a, it's a mix really, isn't it? Like when you're a teenager, your developmental task is actually to build up um, the sense of who you are and you do this through your friendship group. So I would think it's actually both and they're both equally important in terms of it's not about hanging out with your friends, it's about the, the, the development that comes from being with friends, from learning who you are, the kind of person you are, because that's, that's the task, you know. Once children move into secondary school, you know, their task is to move away from their parents, otherwise they'd never get out of home. Okay. You know, so there's there's both there, and it's why the social interaction is so important in school. It's why we actually need more of that, um, that free time. And, um, you know, I think our teenagers' days are incredibly packed, and obviously for the last 18 months, they haven't had the same outlet with friends. So, look, I'm actually seeing a lot of this in my clinic. You know, kids who made that transition um, during COVID times, but that it has been really, really difficult to make friends mm-hmm. because of all the interruptions. So it's it's not uncommon. Um, I have a checklist as well for anyone listening. If they think, oh, well, you know, I'd love to figure out how to support my kids in the morning. I have a checklist for parents. You can get it on my website. It's free. Okay, please tell us that. Com. Yeah, CatherineHalsey.com, stress-free school mornings. CatherineHallisey.com, stress-free school mornings. Now, if you were to consult this family, uh, would you be consulting child, mum, or both? Both, and I, I would also be linking with school. So anytime there's any kind of, you know, what we would call school avoidance, school reluctance, school refusal. Now, I don't know where she is on that spectrum of those three things, but you need a three-part approach for that. So working with the child, working with the family and working with the school. And all too often we put all our attention on on the child and what they need to do. But it's actually all three. It's empowering parents to know when to push, when to move back and just support. Mm -hmm. And for the school then and really understanding what's going on for this girl here. You know, there can be so many parts to it. 
but that's the way I generally approach this and I move right away from this idea that it's about behaviour to really thinking about what's going on okay, for Catherine. this girl, how can we help her build her coping skills. Let's get to your website again, can we? Yeah, that's katherinehallacy.com. That's just for the website. And if you want to get the checklist, it's katherinehallacy.com. And then there's a slash stress-free school mornings. Or just connect with me on Instagram as well. That's probably the easiest way. And send me a DM and I can send you the link to the checklist. Thank you so much, Catherine. Catherine Hallacy, child psychologist. Thanks, Mick. Thanks, Emil. We have news at 11 next. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. And you can phone us on 1850 or by text or WhatsApp on 0868104106. As many people did while listening and after hearing uh, that wonderful song from Claire Hayden called Peace by Peace. We've had dozens of texts asking us to play it again. The response was immediate and very, very warm to the song. Fair play to that girl, Claire, for speaking about her journey. I too went through the same thing. Positive disposition is paramount. That was outstanding, says another texter. What a truly inspirational song. The lyrics are very real and straight to the point. Great to have a song out there that tells the story of breast cancer. Hi Mick, I'm bawling crying listening to Piece by Piece, that song by Claire, going through chemo number seven for breast cancer at the moment. This song captures exactly how I feel. Well done Claire, says Catherine. OMG, oh my God, that song Piece by Piece is just amazing. I love it, gives Adele a run for her money. Please uh, play it some more, it's fab. I must look it up. Not sure is it available actually to look up. Let's find out is it on spot or something. Maybe it should be. Stunning song. God bless her and keep her safe, says Eilish. Well said, Claire, from another woman who went through breast cancer diagnosed in September 2018 from Shiona. Hair is standing up on my arms. Amazing song. And an amazing woman, says another texter. Stunning song. God bless her and keep her safe, says Eilish. And oh my God, Mick, I'm no more good. I'm praying my work phone doesn't ring right now because I'm in floods of tears. Well done to all. I am donating right now, says D in Blarney. So take a bow, Claire Hayden. You certainly touched some hearts this morning. Now, Marie is on line one. Hi, Marie. Hello. Hello. Hi, my name is Marie. I'm a retired teacher. Hi. Okay. And so I was just ringing in relation to the comments about the little girl being a teenager. Okay. Of 14. Now, I just want to say a few things, I suppose. I'm more practical approach. Okay. And back, I suppose, five, ten years ago, when we didn't have access to all the psychologists, it would have been a more practical approach. But I'd appeal really to the schools and to the school management to look at this again and to just let the girl be in the class with her. Isn't that the simplest solution of all? Yes, I mean, I know now with streaming and all of that, that maybe the friends are of different grade levels. Maybe that has something to do with it. Um, and I know that that has to be factored in now, especially with bigger classes and smaller classes and different subjects. But, I mean, rather than let this child attend all these psychologists and different things at this age, right? Wouldn't it be better just to take that practical approach and address the very simple solution first? I mean... Back in the day, I've dealt with many, many what I regard as we wouldn't have called it anxious or stressed or anxiety. Many, many shy girls going through traumatic periods when they went to secondary school first. And you'd have to have a bit of cop on, basically. 
you know? Yeah, if, if, if you're seeing a child who's withdrawn or shy or maybe not being spoken to by other peers, that you might move in and, and, and maybe take them under your wing, as it were. Not just take them under your wing, but listen to the parents. And even if they could accommodate so that you'd be with one friend, you know? I mean, maybe there's more to this that we don't know. I, I'm sure there is. We're, we're taking it all from one simple email. Uh, the yes. mum obviously does not want to come on air because it'll publicise the school then and then she could be in even more trouble. Well, I can understand that. But what I'm saying is, rather than get involved with a whole heap of psychologists, not to mention the cost, with a whole heap of psychologists and kind of almost telling the child she's anxious without her maybe ever having decided that she was herself, you know importing all these ideas into her head can basically she's a very practical and human problem she's going to a new school her friends are in a different class and she can't be with them and the crowd that are in the other classes have banded with their bodies and they're not including her it's a simple scenario how, how and, much I mean, how much does bullying well, or bullying by exclusion factor in today's schooling, schooling do you think well, you see, in the classrooms of today be bullying by exclusion might just be that simple thing. They all know each other. They hang around together. They're not including her, but they're not excluding her. And she's so shy, she can't penetrate the bunch. Simple human problems that we don't have to tag as stress, anxiety, anxiousness, the divinos, what else. Just the same old situation where a poor child is a bit shy and wants to have at least one friend that she can hang around within a school environment. Doesn't need to be doing all these anxiety things before she goes to sleep. I can appreciate in certain situations they're useful, but it's not the way to address this problem because, as you said yourself, how is she going to sleep when she's thinking she's going into school and she has to face the same thing over and over again? Yeah, it's like a recurring nightmare, isn't it? Would this have been sorted ten years ago? In your time, do you think? Ten years ago, ten years ago. That'd have been a very simple solution. We'd have listened to the parents and in so far as possible tried to identify one child that she could body up with. Depending now on the school, of course. But we wouldn't have been doing more or less than that. Now I do appreciate streaming may be a factor. And in some schools, especially now with points and everything, it's all about the A class and the B class. And it depends on who gets into what class and maybe she is of a different grade level to the bodies and that's impinging, you know, impinging on it. Yes. And that's so much a part now of schools that it's causing a huge amount of stress. And often you have a very quiet child who's streamed into a class with messers because their grades are bad or their grades are poor. So they're put into a class with a load of messers and then they have a hell of a miserable life and they don't achieve because they've been graded or streamed into a situation which they shouldn't have been placed. Okay, I I can tell there's a passion in your voice for the the teaching vocation. Absolutely. Like I've been through this so many, so many times with young girls and they've come out the other end of it because practical, commonsensical solutions were adopted. And they weren't told that they were stressed or anxious. They were just listened to. 
Yeah, and it's, it's, and hard, it's hard to get a definitive answer from such a, gener- a generic email. We're reading a lot into it and taking a little bit of license yeah. with it. But if, if it's just... A, looking at it, streaming may be a factor. Okay. Maybe the friends are in the C class and she's in the B class or vice versa. And when that's so important in this day and age, maybe that's... Maybe the principal doesn't want to say that to the parents. I don't know. Yeah, well, look, I, I think what we're going to do is keep in touch with the emailer uh, and see what progress is being made. It's a very interesting story, and I think a lot of families are going through that, or, or it's touching a lot of families, because there are yeah, shy people, uh, especially yes, making, okay. making, the, making the jump from primary into secondary. can be a little yes, emotional, can, can be a little see, testing. Can you see, by importing a lot of these theories about anxiousness and stress, or you're stressed, let's do the sleep routine, or you're anxious, count to three in the morning, whatever. The child may not need any of that. No, she's being told this. She's emerging thinking, I'm stressed, I'm anxious, I'm this and that, I'm useless, I'm failure. You know, and when all that was needed in the first place was to give her one pal in a class. Let's see if that can be achieved. Um, we're, we're getting texts of support for you, Maria, and that you're so right in everything you're saying. Uh, so parents yeah, are agreeing with you already. I have been through the mill. I mean, I have years of experience, not as a psychologist, just as a teacher on the coal face who encountered so many children. And also, the thing I'm passionate about is I'm completely anti-streaming because it really is very bad for poor quiet children who end up in classes with loads of messers and when they do want to learn but they can't and they're on the road to nowhere then because they can't go to the private schools and they can't do this and they can't do that and they're quiet and they're in with a load of messers and they shouldn't be there at all but because their grades didn't make it they're streamed in there. Okay Marie strong point well made thank you very much. Okay, thanks very much. All the best. Thanks, cheers. Bye bye. Thanks, bye bye. Now then, hi Mick, could you please give this a mention on air? I'm part of a group climbing the four highest peaks in Ireland over three days. We'll start climbing on Friday, the 17th of September. Uh, it's all in the name of the Super U Project, a program that helps children learn life skills. The scheme that is set to be run in Cork schools will include empowerment and inspirational talks. They will also get to learn about the science of achievement and emotional mastery. I have some friends doing that uh, challenge, actually, so I will be donating to that. Uh, anyone who wishes to donate on the challenge can do so by searching for Four Peaks Super U Challenge 2021. And so says Kevin Cullinan, who's doing the challenge. That's Friday the 17th of September. You can donate now, then, or afterwards, I guess. Part of a group climbing the four highest peaks in Ireland over three days. That means you've got to do two peaks in one day, and then one each each uh, of the other two days. So that is no mean feat physically or mentally, I would imagine. But anyone who wishes to donate to the challenge can do so by searching for Four Peaks Super U Challenge 2021. And so says Kevin Cullinan. Now to line two and to Cork Personal Training Leah Punch, who is half the woman she used to be. Uh, we spoke to her back in October. And nice to have you back on the air, Leah. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Very good. Now, last time out, uh, we told and you told the listening uh, population of Cork here on uh, Cork's Red FM that you had dropped half uh, of your body weight. You had shed half of your body weight. You dropped 10 stone in a year. Uh, and also then six pounds of excess skin after battling with your weight since you were in primary school. Can we just refresh the battle uh, and how you began to tackle it before we get on to uh, your latest news? 
Yeah, so basically, um, I've been overweight since I, as long as I can remember, like six years old, I suppose. You know, I remember pre- uh, communion age, trying to find a dress and the hassle with that. Um, went to secondary school, you know, then I kind of, you start to realise more, you know, you're getting more aware of it. And I suppose conscious and, you know, you know you're heavier. So I would have been like put on milkshake diets. I was at dietitians and, you know, I've done it all today. Um, then it just started escalating as I got to kind of 17 then I suppose started driving um, started going to you know, takeaways so my weight just kept on going but I would have always you know been trying to watch what I eat but I suppose back then it wouldn't have been you know I thought healthy eating would be oh have my two slices of bread in the morning with my eggs or you know I wasn't aware of healthy eating Mm-hmm. Um, so I would have done like PT then and stuff when I was kind of like 18 and I would have lost a bit of weight fine but you know not enough um, so I my normal was like probably 16 and 17 stone like you know which was heavy for an 18 year old girl um, I then went on to have my son when I was 22 and I ended up in intensive care after my son and I gained 6 stone in 10 months after him Wow. Um, I suffered severe postnatal depression, severe post-traumatic stress, but that was just like my finishing point. At that stage, I was nearly 22 stone. And, you know, for the first year, I didn't do nothing. Obviously, I was literally bed-bound because my wound, my C-section was open for nearly six months. And I would have had a lot of, you know, to and from hospital appointments and things like that. So my son would have been kind of a one, I suppose, and... You know, he was starting to move and, and I just wasn't able. And I was like, right, I need to do something. So I would have went down and done Slimming World PTs again. And every year I'd lose two to four stone, not a bother. And then I'd stop and I'd gain it all back again. So okay, so you, you went for a more permanent solution, really? Yeah, so I was like constantly on it. And then when she was three... I was just like, I'm done living like this. You know, I can't actually physically live. I couldn't walk to the shop, could barely plan my socks. You know, I was 20, I was, what age was I, 25 at the time. I had no quality of life. Um, you know, everything was affected. I used to only get up to and get dressed up, you know, if I was going out in a night out. But like, I had no quality of life and that was simple as. So I asked my doctors for help. I said, I'm literally now battling this my whole life and it's only getting worse. You know, I cannot control my eating. Um, and they were they listened. I got referred to uh, Lachlan's town up in Dublin, the weight management clinic. So you'd go there if you were kind of put on a weightless for weight loss surgery. Um, so I waited uh, two and a half years for an appointment up there to go. And I got very overwhelmed, being honest. You know, I was 27, I think, or 28 at the time. 27. And I was like put into a room with all these extra large chairs, door frames. And I was like, oh God, you know, I was like, I don't need this. I can do this, you know, on my own. Mm-hmm. It was just very surreal. You know, I would have been 22 stone, but there was people there 10 years older than me and probably 10 stone heavier than me. And was I that think, was that clinic then the the place where the gastric bypass surgery was recommended for you? Yeah, so this is where you go to be on your step program to get ready for surgery, say. So okay, and, and what was that step program? What did you have to, did you have to lose a certain amount of weight to show commitment? So, I tell you now, right, so you're, you're put there, so I waited two and a half years for one appointment. Like, and when I went up 
they literally explained everything what would happen you'd have to go through psychologist the whole lot um, and you'd have to lose weight you know they'd put you on like goals kind of meet targets I suppose mm-hmm. and then you'd be put on the wait list for your weight loss surgery but we were told that waiting list then is six to eight years. Wow. You're talking 10 years in total. So anyway, I went home from there. It was March 2019. And I was like, I'll do it, I'll do it. I, you know, I'm able. And I tried, like, again. And there I was, July 2019. Lovely day outside. I never forget, I was sitting there. My son was playing. And I was like, I'm sitting here literally sweating. And I should be at the beach, you know, out doing something with my son and I'm actually sweating and I'm doing nothing. So I was like, I can't wait six to eight years. Sir, gastric bypass surgery is 23 grand in the bonds in Cork. And I just started researching abroad and I found a clinic and me and my mum, we flew to Lithuania October 2019 and I had my surgery there. Um, and... I was 20 stone, five pound a day of surgery. So I was down like a stone and a half of my heaviest. And in a year, I lost then 10 stones. So I'm actually like 11 and a half stone down now in total. Um, but like, you know, this surgery has saved my life, but it's not for everyone. It's not something you just jump in and do. You know, there was a lot of things I had to build up to get to where I got if that makes sense to anyone. Of course, you, know, you need to be mentally and, and, and a little bit physically prepared, I suppose. How much like, did, it, did it cost you in the end? So, um, in total, it was like seven and, a, seven and a half grand for our flights, accommodation and surgery. Um, but then as well, there's actually a thing called cross-border directive that, that's in place to actually claim back money for actually on a public waitlist, which I never knew. And I've only recently applied for it. Um, so, fingers crossed I will. But like, um, you know, I suppose looking back, it's it's very like I would have went to psychologist and everything after my son. So I was mentally kind of out of everything that happened. I, we spoke a lot about everything through my life, which nothing ever happened. So there was nothing psycho- psychological that affected me being overweight. It was just something in my head I couldn't control with my overeating. Like I never in my life had satisfied. I could eat and eat and eat. Like I'm only five foot, so I'm, I'm tiny like. And when I used to eat, there was no switch-off point. So You're never now, full? Like, never full, honestly. could eat now. Like, I used, before surgery, I love son of a bun. <laughs> and I'd go there, eat nachos, which is like for two people, starter, not a bother. Go and have burger, chips, and I could probably get a dessert in. Like, that's a lot of food, and that would be my norm. I could never understand how anyone would have go out, uh, you know, and leave food behind them. So, like, fast forward now, I'm nearly two years post-op. The first year is probably the hardest, you know. Yeah, can, can, can I just concentrate on that, actually? I, I know there's a bit of a recovery process in the country where you get the procedure done, maybe a week or two. Um, and, and then now, of course, you're looking at um, a very, very much reduced stomach capacity. Uh, how did that affect your eating? Uh, did you begin, first of all, for the first time in your life, to feel full? Yeah, so, like, when it came, I was there for, like, a week in total. I came home. Um, like to be fair, like the support, like there's no support back here really for, like if you go abroad, you know, like you know, like your dietitians in Lithuania say, but mm-hmm. grand, you know, I had all my research done. Uh, like we have a private Facebook group in the clinic, you know, you know, you get first hand like people being through it, so we were all just like a bit of a community to help each other. 
Um, and you have to listen to your own body, you know. So you start off here on your liquid. Then you go into your mushy stage. And you slowly start introducing your foods again. Um, so for the first, obviously, few months, is definitely the hardest, you know, because you miss, you know you enjoy food. You, you miss the, the whole, pot, like, the texture of food. You know, you just miss eating. Um, so it's definitely like a head hunger thing because you're not actually hungry. Um, but, like, from the start, like, I'm about a year and a half post-op, I would have really, you know, and started to enjoy food again. I could okay. just have my small little portions. I can now go out and eat again, but just have a small portion. Like, I wouldn't even finish a kid's meal. Um, you know, so, like, I would eat, I'd be able to eat, like, a salad, no problem, because it's not heavy carbs or anything like that. Like, I'd go for a high-protein diet. Um, and, like, come here, life is for living. I'd have treats as well, like, you know what I mean? But majority of my day is... Just a healthy, well-balanced diet. So, how does it affect your ability to consume alcohol? If you like a, a glass of beer or a glass of wine or something, I've been kind of lucky, to be fair. Um, but a lot of people um, say it kind of hits them stronger. But no, to be fair, to start now, there was the times when I did drink. Like we were at home, sure, we were locked in the pandemic at the time, and I got like a bit of like blackout. Um, but it just came on all of a sudden, you know. Right. Because obviously it just kind of bypasses my tummy quicker into my system. But now I'm kind of, I'm able to manage it. But as I said, you have to listen to your body. You take your time with everything. Um, so like, um, I just, my whole life has changed, you know. Mm -hmm. So in uh, March then, this year, 2020, I actually went back to college and to be a PT, a nutritionist. So I actually qualified as a personal trainer there in August. Fantastic. I went to, in district in Cork uh, with Elite Coaching College. Um, so we've done a, like a four or five month course. And I just know for me that I will need to be in, like, you know, on top of my game, I suppose. Because it's very easy to fall into old habits of eating potatoes and sweets and things like that. Because they're called like slider foods. So I could eat a lot of rubbish if I wanted to because... You know, the food dissolves before it even gets into your tummy. Whereas if you're eating a breast of chicken, that's wholesome. That will fill you up, you know, quicker. Um, so, like, I know I have to be, you know, controlling my food. And I want to live a healthy, well-balanced diet. I never, ever in my life want to go back to where I was. Of course. and, and so, But, of, of course, at the weight you were at, when you reach the weight you're at now, there's going to be residual skin, isn't there? And the last time we spoke, uh, I think you were planning a procedure to get rid of excess skin. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Yeah, so, like, obviously, now, I, I, when I hit Target at Christmas, well, it was actually kind of November last year, um, I have, I had loose skin, I could see it, um, and there's no escaping it, you know, from being up and down, up and down, your weight, like, my skin, like, did bounce back a bit, but, like, you know, I had a lot of excess skin, and especially then doing the PT course, you know, where they're, like, lifting weights and jumping, you know, doing burpees, and my, I'm just, my whole body just flapping, like. So I booked my skin last November for August this year, but I was giving myself a few months because it's best to leave your body kind of be at a stable weight for about six months before you, you know, go take it off, I suppose. Um, so I flew back to Lithuania in August um, and I had a procedure. So I was in a floor delete. So I'm cut from the center of like my, like my chest right down the centre of my tummy and then like a tummy tuck but I'm actually the whole way around so it's like a 360 it's like a lower body lift 
Okay. So I literally pulled up all my outer skin and my thighs, um, the front of my legs, say, all my tummy, pulled all my tummy in on the sides because I would have had a lot of upper abdomen fat. Um, well, loose skin, I suppose you'd call it. But, you know, there was no, that was just there. And I had my arms, so I had extended arm uh, lift. So it's from my armpit down to my forearm. So I was in Lithuania for 11 days in total this time. I flew over and I had my surgery and I was there for seven days or nine days at post-op. So like I would be in the hospital for two days, stayed in next door then the clinic and had like daily visits to the nurses every day. That's nearly half um, That's nearly half a stone of excess skin being removed. So that must have made you feel a bit better and lighter as well, did it? Yeah, you know what? No, it's very strange because I'm in compression suits um, and... I can obviously I can see it's gone, but like my arms, especially now you know when you're trying a t-shirt, like you know I would have had a very like a lot on my arms, you know, like so it was just well, like come here, I was fairly comfortable. I'm confident, you know, it is what it was, and but for me, I think I just wanted it gone, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm 29. I'm 30 November, and it's just about being able to. It just got in the way. So, like, the skin removal recovery then, like, you know, people saying, oh, you have to watch yourself. Another kind of mental health kind of battle as such. Because all of a sudden you go from being, you know, flying around the place to literally bed bound. Um, but come here, I'm actually being true enough, I think, you know. Yeah, and considering everything you've been th- uh, through, can you tell us what's life like right now? So I'm four weeks post-op now, and... I've done very, very well, but I just think I'm such in a good place overall. My mental health and well-being, I know now I'm in control of everything and every aspect of my life, and I don't think anything will ever get me down again. You know, life will throw stuff at us, but, you know, in the end of the day, your action control of how you react and, you you know, you feel to a situation. So, like, my four-week post-op, um, my wounds are nearly completely closed, I was away for nearly two weeks, so last week my son went back to school, so it was just a small bit of normality. It was just back driving, um, just small trips, but I am listening to my body. I need to, you know, obviously rest and heal as well. Um, and yeah, like, you know, I'm, I'm doing good. Like, I can't exercise for six to eight weeks, so another four weeks before I start introducing them. just small things. I'm doing little walks. Um, but I feel like my arms would be the biggest recovery because my body's fine. But your arms, I, I just find them, they're a bit tougher. You know, like mm-hmm. when I'm kind of reaching or stretching, you just feel a bit of tightness and stuff. Um, but no, I think I've done very well. I don't know, I just think maybe that's just the, mo- the place I'm in. Um, like, I, I'm on Instagram, so I share everything on my Instagram. Yeah, that's um, my name Bypass is, by Leah, isn't it? It's, yeah, Leah Punch underscore Bypass by Leah. So I kind of share everything on that, but like I follow other people's journeys and they won't be as probably straightforward as mine. And, you know, I know infections, tangle odd or everything looks good, but my GP has been amazing. You know, I didn't even have to go to them. Um, I've been getting lymphatic drainage massages uh, since I came home. Um, and that's all I've been doing really is just looking after myself, healthy food, you know drinking my water and I suppose just minding myself Excellent. and it's just so, part of the journey. All in all though, the gastric uh, procedure you went through is not for everyone as you said, but it has worked very well for you. Yeah, like look, it's something that's there and you know, people might be against it. You can't change people's opinions, but you can have an opinion on someone's life that you've never lived. Like these surgeries are there for a reason. They won't be there if they're not there, you know, they're mm. not there for nothing. 
hand in my heart, like, this surgery has been, this is what I needed and I had to do for me and no one else. And it's all part of my journey and it's got me to a better place. I can't even imagine, like, my life has changed. I've gone from being at home, barely leaving the house, have no quality of life, to now change my whole life around being you know, down half my body weight. I'm qualified personal trainer, PT. You know, I want to go out and help people just like me. Not even for surgery, you know, but maybe be it to support someone because I think... Sure. That's, I, that's I, some I, journey, Leah. And, and, you know, the fact you want to give something back now as well. What's the total weight loss now? Um, so I was 11, so 8 pounds before the skin gone. So then it was another 6 pounds. So like you're saying 12 stone, but I haven't kind of seen the drop in the scales yet because... I still have a bit of fluid and, you know, my body's still swollen a bit. Yeah. Um, so, it's like, the bones are 12 stone, you could say. <laughs> well, you look amazing, uh, if I can so. just say that. Let, let's just uh, refresh people with uh, how they can uh, get in touch and uh, maybe follow your story on that Instagram uh, contact again. Yeah, so Instagram, um, Punch underscore bypass by Leah. Thanks a million, Leah. Great to talk to you again, and I'm sure we will again in the future. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you. All the best. Bye-bye. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And it's coming up on 21 minutes to 12 midday. Now, Marie Healy joins me from Balancholic Trailblazers, and I'm interested to find out what they're all about. Good morning, Marie. Hi, how are you? Very good. Now, your Cork's first mixed ability rugby team. What is that? Uh, for people that have disabilities and don't have disabilities. Okay, Regardless, so, you know, everyone okay. can play. Everyone can play if you have a disability or you have... Or not, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you have ability. Uh, yes. So you, you guys were established nearly two years ago now and you're aimed, at, you're aimed at those in their 20s and 30s. Yes, yes. So obviously you'd like to expand your offer and, and invite people along. You play in Tanner Park in Balancholic Every we Thursday do, between we seven and eight. Night. Yeah, yeah. And is there an open welcome for people to join? Oh yes, everyone is welcome to join us over Thursday night. You know, even if you want to come out and watch to see what it's like, you know, we'd love for everyone to come out. Okay, now is this just touch rugby? Or is it full contact rugby? Oh God, it's full contact rugby. You know, so, we so. love we love getting in the tackles every Thursday night at training. We go off playing matches to up and down the country, you know. But since the coronavirus hit us, we couldn't go off playing the matches that we usually do. Okay, and so how, we, how many other so teams around the country rugby. are mixed ability rugby teams? We're the first ladies mixed ability rugby team. So who are you going to play then when you travel? Well, we'd really love to play against, say, maybe foreign teams, you know, hopefully we'll be t- we'll be playing in a rugby World Cup next year in Ireland, up in Musgrave Park. So a few foreign teams will be coming over to play us. Okay, excellent. So this is open to everybody. You have an open invitation. Uh, even if you just come out and watch, you may, you may feel like you want to take part. Whether you've played exactly. before or not, whether you have any rugby experience or not, bear in mind, it is full contact rugby. Uh, but you, is, you yes. will be welcomed with open arms and it seems like a very vibrant little community of going there. Oh yes, it is. It's open for everyone, you know. 
we'd love everyone to come out and watch us play. All right. Well, it's in Tanner Park in Ballincollig every Thursday between 7 o'clock and 8. Everyone is welcome yeah. to join, whether you have a disability or not. Yeah. Uh, whether you want yeah. to play or not, come along and get some good company. And if you want to take part, you'll be more yeah. than welcome as well. Yeah. All right, Marie, thanks a million. Best Thank of luck. Very much. Best of luck Thank with you. it all. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for having me on. Not Bye. a bother. Thanks. Bye-bye. Now, uh, staying in Ballincollig, we've got James Toomey on uh, line five uh, because uh, we have uh, been looking at a picture shared uh, of a lady called Kitty in the Boys and Girls of Naka Facebook page. And she's now become something of a local hero. Good morning, James. Morning, Mick. How are you? Well, great. Now, you, saw, you, you shared this picture because you see this lady every morning. Uh, uh, in different parts of Ballincollig, picking up rubbish off the street. That's right, yeah, about 7 a.m. in the morning. 7 a.m.? Not that early, sometimes even earlier. I spotted her a few occasions earlier. And uh, I just thought she was an amazing woman. And one, last week I spotted her and she was near to me, so I just gave her a beep and I gave her a thumbs up. You know? So a couple of days later in, I saw her behind the quad cleaning up and I just took a picture and I shared her on the Boys and Girls Anaka Facebook page. And uh, never knew she was so popular. It just went viral. <laughs> it, you know? it did go viral. So she's out every morning picking up rubbish in different parts mm-hmm. of Ballincollig. She puts it into a black trolley. Uh, you can right. see that in the photo as well. Uh, and uh, people are obviously beeping at her and giving her thumbs up. Uh, and you say she gave you the biggest smile and the biggest wave as well. Absolutely, yeah. And I was just, you know, made my morning. To be fair, I know you know when you're that time in the morning, you're a bit down. And I went, you know, it's a fair play to her. I just, you know, for a... I don't want to call her an elderly lady, but, you know, in fairness to the woman, she's amazing what she does, you know, and apparently she's been doing it for 50 years. I was reading a cock 50 years, that's right. Kitty O'Callaghan, do you mind being called an elderly lady? Not at all, Mick. You're wel- welcome to the programme. Say hi to James. Yeah, hi, James. Hi, Kitty, how are you? You're well? I'm very well, thank you. Kitty, yeah. what, what are you doing? 50 years uh, cleaning up and picking up rubbish around Ballincollig. Does it really need yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, well, I gave it up for a long while and then I came back about 16 years ago to Tom Butler's team, which are wonderful people. And uh, since then, I'm out every day of the week. Okay, but you know you know, people in Ballincollig have no problem telling you they live there. They're so proud of where they live. I take uh, some of our staff here. Uh, I take my lead from them, okay? They're really, really proud to be from Ballincollig. Uh, oh, so yeah. now, but you, you've lived there and are proud of your village for 74 years. That's right. Love it. Yeah. And you've seen some big, big changes. We all have, of course, uh, with the bypass oh, yeah. coming, with, uh, with the barracks being sold and developed, and many, many more. Of course, it's become a, a huge urban centre for living now as well, when it was once a village. That's right, yeah. It is really big now, and a big difference to long ago. Okay. Do you still love it? You still like it? Oh yes, I do. Of course, I wouldn't move out, melancholy. So, can I ask you, Kitty, what motivates you every morning at seven o'clock or earlier to head out with your litter picker, uh, your black trolley, to clean the whole village of rubbish all on your own? I just like it. Get up early to just do that job. Come back and do my own work. Okay. Where where, where do you put your in the morning? Where do you put what you pick up? Do you put it in with your own general refuse? No, I keep it all and I separate bottles, cans and plastic bottles in different bags and Pat Clark would collect them then and they, it's on the morning. He's a part of the tidy town. Well, I wonder what somebody put you forward for, for an award because you're doing this for about two hours every day for the last <clears throat> 50 years. 
Well, I'm not 50 years doing it. I'd say 15, but I used to do it 50 years ago. Yeah, okay. I know you took a break and all that. Yeah. Uh, James, have you ever come across somebody with such community spirit? No, to be fair, apart from myself. (laughs) (laughs) Good on you. No, in fairness. No, I was just, you know, Mick, when you you see her that time in the morning, and uh, she's out here just picking up rubbish. I just, and to be fair, I just found it amazing. Yeah, when when you I kind of have to drag yourself out of bed to get to work, and you see someone getting up earlier than you yeah, and going out picking up rubbish voluntarily. Absolutely, yeah, and at, yeah, at her own expense. You know, she's getting nothing for it. So I just thought she just needed recognition. You know, and I said that's why you put her out there. And though I didn't expect what happened afterwards, you know, so I just went. Yeah, it really kind of went viral. Then, so so yeah, yeah, you, you were able to track that on your boys and girls of Naka page, were you? Yeah, 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 and she's a very popular woman. Everybody knew her because there was people uh, in Limerick for one person who worked. You know, she had her tag. Oh, well done, Kitty. You know, everywhere, yeah. hundreds of people knew her. But she's a very popular woman. Okay, it's a very popular page as well. Tell me a little bit about the boys and girls of Naka. Be back to you in a second, Kitty. Thank you. Just stay there. Hang on there. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about the boys and girls of Naka, James. Yeah. Well, it's it's still going strong in fairness. We we you know we set up in 2018, and with all the old photos of the community growing up back in the 80s and the 70s from Donald Harris. Um, I suppose we did, we got a lot of uh, community work done in the community at the time, but then COVID obviously kicked in, so that kind of put the hampers on that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, look, it's, it's more of a crack these days, I suppose, through the whole pandemic, there was more of an entertainment thing. We were trying up jokes and people conversations and a few funny videos, just keeping people, you know, keeping their head out of the The sense of humour up on the hill there is amazing. Uh, and, and well able to laugh at themselves as well and, and take a bit of slagging. Uh, th- th- James, thanks for coming on. I'll, I'll, I'll finish with Kitty. How long more do you think you'll do this uh, this endeavour, Kitty? Is there more years left in you doing it? Well, I hope I have. As long as my health is good, I'll be out doing it. And what's your favourite memories of Balancolic over the years? Well, the barracks, because my father lived uh, worked in the barracks. He was an army soldier and it used to be lovely and we had beautiful parties in the barracks long ago when we were children and it was really lovely. And is there, is there much of the barracks left now? Maybe just some of the outside walls, is it? it, it, just, um, it, it um, just one part in the square is left, which is kind of re-renovated. Re- and do, do, you, do you see progress as necessary or do you find it sad? Sad at times because there's too many houses going in here now as well, you know. Mm-hmm. So would, would you don't. would you mind if, if we asked every motorist who passes you now to give you a beep until somebody in Balancholic recognises your good work for the area? <laughs> I don't mind. They're doing it anyway. <laughs> They're doing it anyway, are they? All right, Kitty. Listen, lo- lo- long may it continue. We hope that somebody uh, may- maybe sends you a dinner voucher, or, you know, gives you some sort of accolade in 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 the, in the local area, and we'll happy to be happy to pass that on if anyone wants to anyone wants to show you a little bit of kindness back in return. So well done. Keep yeah, it up, Kitty O'Callaghan. And all the best to the, all the tidy toners for all their hard work. Well, I'm sure you're you're, you're doing a, you're doing a lot for Balancolic's cause anyway. Just <laughs> left me alone. It's all Balancolic. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Kitty. You. Appreciate Thank it. Have a great day. Yeah, Thanks. Bye bye.
Uh, thanks a million. Mike, Mike, there's a man at the top of Fair Hill and he cleans up the place every day, just like that lady on the radio. Please give him a shout as well, says Joe. Don't know his name, but if you know the name of the man at the top of Fair Hill doing just what Kitty is doing and picking up rubbish of their own volition, on their own time, uh, and uh, somebody said, I think it's his name is John. Let's see if we can get that verified. Coming up on 11 minutes to 12 now. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 1850-104-106. And apparently the man who's cleaning up the top of Fair Hill, his name is John Sextant, and he is doing incredible community work. So hats off to John Sextant, the man cleaning up the uh, top of Fair Hill each and every day on a voluntary basis. Now I'm joined on line one by a lady we spoke to in July after she featured in an Echo article online talking about her MS diagnosis and she got a huge reaction that time, didn't you, Christine Duff? I did, Mick. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. Good to talk to you again. You had, no, been, you had been going for an MRI. Will you just bring us up to speed with the story up to that point, just to refresh people's memory? Yeah, so basically I'd been diagnosed in 2019. Um, I'd had symptoms that literally came very suddenly, very quickly over the space of two weeks. It was, um, my hands came at me. It was like a numb, buzzing sensation is the only way I can describe it. And um, I was hospitalised and they had diagnosed it then, there and then. And so that was 2019 and within a short few weeks then I kind of went down the route of just I suppose changing the whole mindset changing looking at my life in a different way and you know the way you hear people saying they have these spiritual awakenings or whatever like so I suppose you could call it like something similar you know I just kind of looked at everything as a whole and I was like right what do I need to change to fix this and what do I need to do to be able to live with this and I suppose it was a case of the quicker I could accept it, the quicker I could adapt and overcome, which would be my advice to anyone that's going through any sort of a situation like that. Now, you know, they might be facing or waiting for a diagnosis or they might be, you know, worrying about something coming their way. But the only thing I can say from my own experience is when you accept it and you allow it into your life, then you look at it and you look at all areas of your life and to see what you can do sure. to make changes. You become invested in your own recovery, really. That's kind of it, really, yeah. So you you were you were diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. You decided you had no other option but to get yourself better again. And if yeah. I remember correctly, that was for the sake of your kids, your future, and and you also, of course, as many people do, and we've heard this with our breast cancer sufferer uh, in the last hour, uh, and that was Claire Hayden. Uh, as many people do, want to give something back uh, and use their experience to help it uh, make it an easier experience for others. That's kind of it, absolutely. I mean, I suppose the initial the initial diagnosis was a massive shock and, you know, I think I said that in the article as well that nobody kind of uh, takes into consideration the family and the ripple effect it has for family, friends. I mean, you know, they obviously shed their own tears and then they don't want to express that to you. So it's, it's, it's almost like everyone tiptoes around each other instead of just talking about it. So I find, for me, I'm a talker, I talk to a wall, so um, I found it quite easy to talk about it and to, to not be ashamed of it or not to be embarrassed about it and almost to be able to comfort other people because I'd be the type of person I would ask a lot of questions, so when I am in those situations with the medical people, I mean, I'll ask a million and one questions, you know, I'm probably the one person you don't want in the room because I'm like, <laughs> I, want, I want the real deep explanation but why? And, you know, I'm, I was always the but why child. <laughs> yeah, I remember you, you, you felt you became unwell. Now, I know you can't attribute the, the MS diagnosis to this, but you had a buildup of anxiety, of stress and uncertainty in, in your life. And that made you kind of unwell. Um, yeah. So how, how, how did you make those radical changes that have you now celebrating two years being symptom free? So I suppose, um, just for anyone listening, if you're in a situation 
that, you know, if you have difficulty in in any situation, whether it's work, relationships, friendships, um, your confidence, just look at it. Look at yourself and, you know, figure out figure out kind of if it sounds cliche but who you are and what you want like what's your passion what are you interested in what do you want to do with your life not your partner your friends your work colleagues your kids like focus on you completely a lot of people don't do that and I found um, for me I started doing that then and I was kind of saying right what am I actually really interested in what do I love doing now I absolutely love my job as a beauty therapist I'm doing that Jesus, 16 years and it's my passion but also in with that is people like I love people I love talking so I did go back then and studied as a life coach and I suppose that's then where I came up with the the name Anchor Your Awareness it's about like anchoring into your own awareness of yourself and I suppose through that then I'm able to help people find their confidence find their self-belief uh-huh. you know it's it's um but it's down to you at the end of the day. Like you are the only person who can make the changes. It's about looking at your thought process, your situation with your family, with your friends, with your work, with your life. You know, you you'll hear people that say, "Oh, I can't," or "Oh, I don't have time," and you know, their excuses. Uh-huh. Like we we do put excuses on our way, and we do. If you're if you're quite a sensitive person, you can absorb other people's stuff as well we'd say you know like have you ever been in a situation yourself Mick where you might come away from a conversation that someone was moaning or groaning and you're, you're kind of going jeez I'm in bad form now over them yeah, you'd, you'd feel <laughs> drained now you, you didn't have your MRI the last time we spoke you have had it since all good all good yeah it was lovely to get um, I got a letter um, few, I think it was about a week later and it just said that the scans are as we expected and there's been no changes and Brilliant. everything everything's stable so okay I, w- yeah. I want to get I'm, moder- I'm nearly out of time but I want to get to the yeah. TED talks you're going to give a TED yeah. talk and that's a huge huge thing on PDA pathological <laughs> demand avoidance tell us as quickly as you can about that so basically a TED Talk is, if you Google any TED Talk, that's when you get to share an idea, you're standing on a stage and the whole thing is it's a red dot and it's, it's, it follows a procedure like everyone stands on the red dot. You talk for up to 20 minutes with no notes or nothing and it has to be on a one topic, one idea and it has to be worth sharing and worth spreading. So um, coincidentally enough, everyone thought I was going to be talking about MS, but it's not. I will be talking about pathological demand avoidance. So that is basically, it's um, something that's subcategorized on the autism spectrum and I don't want to give away too much until it's on until it's fully recorded and sent out but basically um pathological demand avoidance it's the anxiety driven need to always be in control but it's um a diagnosis that was discovered in 1980 by elizabeth newson and okay christine cl- closer to the time will you give us more details so that we can publicize neil will be back next monday we'll push that as hard as we can for you i think it'll be very Brilliant. good for people to get involved in right there i have to leave it though but thanks a million for coming on the air this morning Thanks so much for having me on, Mick. Thanks a million. And my thanks to our producers, and that is uh, Brenda Dennehy and Mark Willington. We're back tomorrow after news at night. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.